seed conveys the power and it's come again. Mama, what is this? It's seed? come again. Don't you it's care come again. Starting to Until bleed. the seed is crushed, the power never ends. It never ends. It never ends. This is Slashers, a horror movie podcast brought to you by one goon and two goon galas. My name is Jake, and with me, as never before, my two great friends from the newly launched The Worst Horror Podcast, which is probably my favorite name of a podcast that I've stumbled upon in quite some time, Casey and Yaz, introduce yourselves. Hi, guys. What up, y'all? I like it. How are you both doing this fine? I will acknowledge we're recording in a morning, so I might have more energy than I need. It's early, y'all. It's early. You girl oh, yeah. is tired. Yeah, same. But it's all good. We're ready to talk about horror, oh, and yeah. it's, it's great. You're both launching your podcast. By the time this episode comes out, we'll have come out on Monday. How's business? I'm sure that you know things are great. You're enjoying the process? It's been really fun. It really has. We're enjoying it. We're meeting so many new people, like, just by doing this and in such a short amount of time. Like, I'm having so much fun. It's great. Yeah, everyone's been really great and... Super receptive of the the idea that we're even doing this, and it's been awesome. Yeah. Really great so far. Yeah, I'm very happy to have you as part of the show, and now is as good a time as ever. Now is as good a time as any to announce that you have joined forces with Slashers, have joined forces with Copulators Die First, have joined forces with Cult Classic Mania, and we're proud to announce the birth of the crap-ass little podcast network. hey Woohoo! So, <laughs> really, all that is, is it means that we're creating a central hub for all of us to try and share and make it so that our followers can find other great content and so we're going to be publicizing the hell out of your materials. Yeah. Do you have anything to say to your future fans who are going to get tattoos of your logo on their chest? Please don't. And be very, <laughs> very nice to us. We are sensitive little gals. I'm just really excited to be, you know, having the mutant goons from beyond listening to us in the first place. So pretty excited about that. Yeah, me too. Just, yeah, I'm very sensitive. Be nice to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I've actually had that same fear where I'm like, oh, fuck, there's some douchebag who lives in his mom's basement who's going to be like, how the fuck haven't you seen Blood Diner before this? And then everybody was so supportive of us doing that, like, very niche little bullshit movie. And I had, like, multiple conversations with fans that were just like, dude, it's so great that, you know, you got to see this movie. I'm so stoked. And I haven't had one person look down their nose at me, which is just shocking in today's day and age you know i would say that everyone in the community so far has been i don't know just great like i have you know we haven't really experienced anything negative but we haven't put out an episode true but i mean even talking to people you know in the horror community like when we go to cons and stuff like that they're just they're great there's no better group of people honestly i'm really excited to start going to cons again this summer too just so i can start talking to people and meeting people face to face and I'm really excited. That's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, I come from, I used to do vending at comic conventions and stuff. And you never see a more elitist group of sweaty men. Oh, absolutely. Jesus Christ. The amount of hours I've wasted going through quarter comic bins at Frank and Sons in City of Industry with a bunch of people like, like, how the fuck didn't you read Punisher issue 172? I'm like, because I have a fucking life. (laughs) 
and I've been laid at least once in my lifetime. Like, get the fuck away from me. I stay away from that area at Frankincense. I'm like, I don't oh, yeah. want to be criticized today, so I'm just going to go look at the horror shit and call it a day. Especially because we go in and we say, like, oh, yeah, we're because usually we're looking for a specific comic. Like, I'm a bigger fan of the horror comics than Marvel or DC. And I always get, oh, yeah, well, how long have you been reading comics? Like, what? what All is right. your favorite? Oh, did you? It's like, okay, you know what? I'm not questioning you about your comic yeah, knowledge. Like, me let alone. me just, let I, me you're shop. taking my money, right? Like, right. I thought we were cool. No. I love when the guy thinks, okay, I'm going to show this girl what for. And do you even know who you're cosplaying as? Hey, guess what? Get fucked. <laughs> like, legitimately get fucked. If she wants to dress up, she can dress up. Right. Like, it drives me Fucking Let up me the live. Wall. And sorry, not to be crass, but you're talking shit like you're not putting that in the spank bank for later. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, for fuck sure. Off, right? <laughs> for sure. I've seen guys who've probably beaten their dicks like it owed them money after looking at girls and then been like, she doesn't even look like Witchblade. Um, <laughs> tell that to the wad of. Well, I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull back a little bit. <laughs> In years to come, my daughter might find this podcast and be like, why the fuck were you talking about cum-covered Kleenex? <laughs> but I digress. So, uh, your first episode is on the movie Hush, which I didn't see. And I watched after listening to your episode just because I liked your episode. Oh, wow. So we were talking awesome. about that before, that I was so shocked that people have said they do that with our show, where they were like, oh, yeah. After listening to Blood Diner, they're like, we're going to go watch Blood Diner for the first time. So while I said that it was surprising, I did the same thing. So I guess that makes me, like, your biggest fan. So <laughs> You're our only fan, so I'm really glad that you're also our biggest. <laughs> Hopefully your husbands are fans. That's a sincere wish of mine. Fucking better be. You know, I don't even think my... I haven't asked my husband to listen to the, <laughs> to the episode yet after I edited it. My boyfriend does not give two shits about movies in general. So he's a, he's my toughest critic, but he likes us. I mean, he I don't know. He's my husband biased. is not a big horror fan. I mean, he's like the greatest dude on the face of this planet, but he's not a Do big horror see, fan. This is why her and I talk so much oh, yeah. about it and hang to out to each the other time. constantly through text, on the phone, in person, forever. We actually don't work at our jobs. We just text all day and talk about movies. I really hope our employers don't listen to us. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I hope so. My wife, not a horror fan, and then we launched the show, and now she's been super gracious about watching movies with That's me. That's amazing. It blows my mind. She was so great in your episode for The Craft. Like, and I've told yeah. you this too. So your wife has such a beautiful speaking she voice. It's does. so easy to listen to. I, I totally enjoy listening to episodes with her on them. Uh, we've got great feedback for her. So we're I'm trying to coordinate and make sure she's on at least one episode a month. And at first I was like, oh shit, she's going to have to watch these horror movies that she doesn't like. And she's been like, because she watched Carrie with me. And she's like, oh, that was some weak shit. She was like, wait, <laughs> what? She, goes, bullshit. <laughs> she compared it to, to Mimic and she's like, yeah, it had nothing and it was boring. And I was like homegirl like this was supposed to be psychologically damaging to you i know i'm like torn to pieces by this movie and she's like this ain't shit i was literally on the verge of tears (laughs) listening to the audio book i know oh god did you listen to the version with sissy spacek yes oh she has a very soothing and like nice voice too i like listening to her her voice is very similar to amy poehler's voice i think 
give Amy Poehler like another ten years to be more a little more mature, and her voice is going to be like identical. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and she did a really good job of changing her tone of voice for different characters, for changing her tone of voice for the the material that's being drawn upon, like the fake books and the fake articles and stuff. I she she was awesome. That's probably my favorite audiobook. She did do a really good job with that. Yeah, it was really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and especially I think the audiobook I listened to for Pet Cemetery and Salem's Lot were like. 30 years old and it's you can tell that it was like a cassette tape that was converted to an mp3 and it's some old man being like ah and so to hear her like nice soothing voice was just i don't know it because i remember reading carrie on the you know the written page years ago and being very unnerved by it like just everything felt very voyeuristic i felt like i didn't belong reading this and i was like i'm a gross man with a penis i don't deserve to be here and then (laughs) Out loud, when I'm listening to it, I say, but Stephen King is a gross man with a penis. And oh like, he doesn't deserve to be talking about this either. So, you know, it all comes around. I, you know, I didn't even think about that. Like, the voyeuristic kind of part of this is, yeah, you're just, like, watching all this unfold in, like, the grossest way. Right. That's, like, such a good point. I didn't even think about it like that. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, and essentially. It, that's, I think it's something in the book that's way more than the movie where I feel like I don't belong. And even those brief moments of serenity, you feel uneasy by. And mm-hmm. that's just me as a man. And I don't know that you had the same experience. So for instance, in the book, when she gets home from the catastrophic incident in the showers, there's a scene where she's looking at her naked body and she's like tracking, you know, the shape of her form and everything. It's it's very interesting because you know what she's doing is rationalizing that journey into womanhood. But as a man, you know, thinking about who is essentially an underage girl, the scene felt very uncomfortable, even though I knew what they were trying to do. I did feel uncomfortable like about that too, especially in the locker room, because, yeah. you know, the first time I watched this, I was, I want to say like 13, 14, so not to be like oh, super no. graphic, but I was like, oh, you know, shit. you're becoming a woman and your body is forming. And when I was that age and watching the scene, I was like, okay, like, these are supposed to be girls closer to my age, but at 26, I'm, these girls are supposed to be 16, 17, and I'm seeing them naked, and it does make me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, There's just something weird, but it feels like with a lot of movies of that time, they're very comfortable showing girls who aren't underage, but girls who are technically supposed to be naked. Like, I used to see so many, like, 17-year-old boobs and like all that time periods movies, I'm like, what is happening? Yeah, yeah. I actually have a whole series of notes that I've made because I was like, I didn't want to be looking at the screen during that scene, so I was just viciously typing away because <laughs> it was just making me uncomfortable. But I'm like, I'm an adult man watching an adult woman play a child who's naked, and I'm seeing more Bush than a Republican national convention in the year 2000. Thank God, I was like, <laughs> please don't make me be the one to have to bring up the Bush because that that was like our comment. We're like, oh my God. I'm glad I didn't have my glasses on. <laughs> We it would have been a big brown blur either way. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, good for them. Hell yeah, yeah dude. own it. Hey, That's I'm not trying to whatever. vagina shame. It's her choice. She can be mangy or barren, whatever she wants to do. But I'm just saying, it's... It's a noticeable difference. (laughs) Honestly, it's probably the thing that's aged the worst in this movie because everything else is kind of timeless, but that is like, oh, Jesus. I know, just in your face. Hey, Okay. Right at the beginning, too, man. As a callback to Nicktoons, we can call it the Angry Beavers episode. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Did you gals know that in Germany, this movie was released as Carrie, Satan's youngest daughter? That's rad. 
Can you start calling me Casey, Satan's youngest daughter? I can if you would like me to. I really do. Wow, what a badass name. That is really fucking yeah, cool. I'm a big fan. And then in French, it was Carrie at the Devil's Ball, which I, I think that's my favorite one. Oh my god. The U.S. is like, Miss Nada on the cool name. What? <laughs> and then in, the last one I'll analyze is Italian, which was Carrie, Satan's Gaze. And I was like... At first, I was like, that sounds stupid. And then I remember the look oh, and the poster. My like, That's God. pretty dope. Which is such a perfect description of that. Her face, Sissy Spacek is a fucking gem. And the fact that oh, she yeah. didn't get more appreciation, like, and Carrie, like, I would give her a 10 out of 10 performance. She's just amazing. Same. She nailed it. I, yeah, I fucking loved her and Carrie in the movie. She was great. So we'll dive into that already then. She actually got nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. She lost to a gal who was in the movie The Network, but The Network swept this year's Academy Awards. It lost Best Picture and Best Screenplay to Rocky, but I mean, how can you not? Mm -hmm. But it had Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress. And if you've seen The Network, it's amazing. It is... It is eerie how something from 1976 applies so, so well to modern culture in the sense of hyperbole and capitalism and all that stuff. Um, so you can't be mad at it. But, you know, Sissy Spacek, she's been nominated for four other Academy Awards and one in 1981. So it's it's interesting to hear you say she's a gem and she's kind of lost in the world. Think about it. Like, she is so acclaimed in industry, but... She plays characters who are so normal and mm-hmm. so rooted and so real that it's like she almost gets disregarded as a character right. actress when, you know, she was nominated in, in Missing, The River, Crimes of the Heart, and In the Bedroom, and then she won for uh, Coal Miner's Daughter. It's crazy. Like, they're, like, it's almost like for the movie. Stephen King only got 2500 bucks for the rights for this book, and he's like, I have no regrets because it was my first book and they turned it into a movie. And, like, think about how many people struggle their whole lives to do anything that's that noteworthy. Right. And it's the same with her. Like, think about how many actresses we see on the cover of Us Weekly or all of this bullshit who never attained one nomination. And she did four and won an Academy Award. And we're like, man, whatever happened to Sissy Spacek? I know. Yeah. That's fucked. (laughs) Whatever. I still appreciate her for, you know... I, I feel like she's great. I don't know. I feel like I can't give her enough praise, and she really fucking knocked it out of the park in Carrie. What was interesting to me, though, is, I mean, I feel like they really, she killed it when it came to the movie. I felt like she really took, uh, do you even know if she had, like, read the book or knew anything about, like, I have, how yeah, no clue. her character was portrayed in the novel? Because she, like, her portrayal was so spot on to me. Mm-hmm. Even, like, you felt a lot of that pain. Exactly. And I was telling Casey last night, I feel like in the novel, it was harder for me to kind of, I don't know, like gauge what her character was, I guess, about. Because in the movie, you get to see a physical person. You get to see, you mm-hmm. know, I don't. it helped me having seen the movie before reading the novel. It gave me a face, you know. But even then, we were also talking about how the way she's portrayed in the novel is not how she looks at all in the movie. Oh, no. Well, they say she's pretty thick in the middle. Right. And then she has, like, acne on her, you know, like, on her shoulders and on her face. And and then they got Sissy Spacek, which is, like, the total opposite. Dude, she is so thin. Yeah. Yeah. She's, like, scary thin. I mean, I was telling 
when Yaz and I were watching it yesterday, that part where she's running out of the shower at them, it, it's kind of reminiscent of the older woman running out at yes, Jack Nicholson in The, in the Shining. Shining. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's so eerie, yeah. Because uh, you know what? You're like, okay, she has a nice body, and then she it turns to the back, and she's hunched over, and it's just, it's it's really creepy. The like, germaphobe Yeah, you see her spine and the out. kind of sinewy muscles as she's reaching out. Yes. And it's like, how is that the same girl? And she yeah. has blood and, on her hands. Oh my God. I'm sorry, but I would have been, I been as much as so I wanted fast, to be like, there for her. This is fucking gross. She's well, going to touch me. I, oh yeah. Someone touching me with their bloody hands. I mean, especially when it's like not, you didn't get stabbed. You literally like reach down and you're like, oh shit. I can't. I'd be like, oh no, no, no. It, mm-hmm. I, it was a little much for me. Just toss her a towel be like, let's just wrap this well, up a little that's, bit. You're entirely right. I think, so in this scene specifically, well, hold on. We're going way too far yeah, ahead. I'm we got to get to the other stuff. <laughs> but we will come back to this because I have a lot of notes. And the one point I want to make before we get into the statistics, Sissy Spacek, in my opinion, plays three different characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. She plays shy, sheepish, abused Carrie empowered Carrie and then Satan's youngest daughter where I'm like dude anybody else that is hokey as fuck and I'm like man I slapped the shit out that motherfucker she tries to glare at me uh, but that's obviously a character because I would never hit a woman but the point <laughs> being I wouldn't be intimidated but when she has those wild eyes I'm like oh fuck mm-hmm. like I'm going the opposite direction of her and yeah do you agree on my opinion of that it, I don't think that it's a startling contrast where it's like inconsistent. My point is, is that as the character develops, she has such real embodiments. You could see somebody doing that kind of character choice for an entire movie in each of those cases. Yeah, yeah definitely. agreed. Yeah, I think agreed. they really allowed her character to grow very quickly. And she did it so well. It was so effortless. It seemed like she mm-hmm. her transition into, yeah, like how you were saying crazy eyes. That scared the shit out of me as a kid. I was like, holy shit, how's she doing that? <laughs> I'm really scared. But well, In the trailer for this movie, I remember watching it as a kid and being like mad. Because mad? it gives the entire movie away. Like, it even shows oh. the blood pouring and everything. And I remember being like, what the fuck? I didn't realize what a cultural phenomenon that book was. And so I thought they were giving it away. And then, I mean, I had already obviously seen the promotional materials by the time I watched the movie. And her performance is so good that you know what's going to happen. You know when it's going to happen. It didn't take away from it at all for you. Like, it was still just as great. Yeah, I I can see that. It's like a magic trick where you know how it works, but then they still do it. And you're like, fuck, that's dope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love magic. Yeah, same. We talk to make this a magic podcast anytime you want. Hell yeah. Let's do it. Get the mystic arts going about here. Right. So let's get into the statistics of the show which is my bullshit name for the statistics because I'm a goon. The movie was shot on an estimated budget of $1.8 million. No big deal. How much do you think it made? Um, I don't even want to guess. I feel like I'm going to say like off. $50 million? 30? Not far off. Yeah, so I've seen two different analytics. One said 25.8. One was 33.8. I think that's the difference between domestic right, and... Cool. When you think about... And then in terms of... This is a movie that ran in cinemas for years after that made money. And then the box office release when I did home video was also huge. So, yeah, this movie made it was a triumphant success. And for a guy like Stephen King, whose first fucking novel was this little weird novella that his wife 
practically dug out of the trash and had to convince him to keep working on. The, like, it's I blows my That's mind. Really Maybe cool. we should thank his wife, man, because we would never yeah, have Carrie if it weren't for her. And if you didn't have Carrie, you don't have Pet Cemetery, you don't have The Shining, <laughs> right. you don't have anything else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because that's what, it starts his career as a full-time writer. At that point, he'd only done some bullshit little manuscripts that he sent into magazines. And here he becomes a real author with what was meant to be a short story. Like, it's it's so interesting. I was talking with a couple of my friends about this. And imagine a world without Stephen King. Obviously, technology probably still ends up the same. The vast majority of culture probably still ends up the same. But in terms of film and book adaptations and even the sensational success of an author is so different. And right. I, it never occurred to me until I realized that he almost just threw away this book and with it his career. I don't even, I to be honest, I don't know if the genre would be even as far along as it is now right. if we didn't have Stephen yeah. King. Like, you know, he has, I'm sure he's inspired so many writers and so many kids, honestly, to get into horror. It just, what's crazy to me is, you know, like, I mean, I grew up watching, you know, I didn't, I can't say that I was much of a reader as a kid, but I grew up watching all of his movies and it's just funny now to see, like, especially with like the It remake, Mm -hmm. seeing like these younger kids, what's his name, Uh, Finn Wolfhard, whatever his name is from Stranger Things, you know, he's like this little baby and he's doing a movie, like an adaptation of a Stephen King, you know, book and it's like, that's crazy. It's still, you know, it's still just unraveling and there's more movies coming out there's different adaptations pet cemeteries coming out and it's it, i don't feel like it's going to stop you know it's just going to grow and grow and grow and there's going to become it's going to get bigger and bigger and there's going to be more fans and young the younger generation will hopefully fall in love with it the way all of us did and mm-hmm. you know i think that's really fucking cool yeah and i think you know going to your point I had somewhat cynically talked about how Stephen King and his adaptations are going to be keep they're going to keep going and it's going to snowball because he has a built-in audience because he has name notoriety, right? Mm-hmm. You have these film companies who are going to be willing to invest tons of money into movies about that because they know his name has a certain degree of merit, right? right? And, but when you look at the way that even publishing companies market authors nowadays, they're marketing them as franchise leaders you have people like jk rowling and you have these other people where it's not just you're an author you're creating a universe you're creating a space that nobody else got like if you look at J.R.R. tolkien's work nobody gave a fuck Mm-mm. you had these publishers who were just like hey people like hobbits give us a hobbit book literally the lord of the rings series was going to be something completely different and they're like no 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 fuckhead people like the hobbit stick with that stay in your lane mm-hmm. can you imagine somebody going to stephen king nowadays and be like no bitch you're not no more telekinesis shit. No more little girls who start fires with their brain. Just stick to your thing. Yeah, I just want to work. No, it wouldn't. I'm like deeply passionate about this subject now because I I really love my Stephen King episodes because there's so much to draw from. I know that I kind of complained about our Salem's Lot episode because it's so long, but I loved the research. I loved watching the terrible movie because it's so fun to kind of see it go and also to see the way that people interpret his work i think we were kind of agreeing this movie they cut out a lot of bullshit and they get kind of the brass text so i saw some people being really shitty online and like oh the difference is i'm like fuck off who cares i mean jesus <laughs> like is anyone ever happy with, no. like anything why would they ever be happy speaking of your salem's lot episode because when you said it was supposed to be called the second coming there's a second salem's lot right so what would you call it coming again 
<laughs> Thank you. Come again. It's Mr. Barlow with his hissing voice. I love that. So the movie came out November 3rd, 1976. Uh, its competition for the week was The Last Tycoon. And uh, you're asking, oh, Robert De Niro, Jack Nicholson. How well did that movie do? Not as well as Carrie. Didn't change a generation. Fuck off. Yeah. Move on. Running time, 98 <laughs> minutes. Did you feel it was easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl, or was this a slog? I would say it went pretty easy, but after listening to the book, I definitely, anything seemed a little bit faster than the jumping yeah. back and forth so many times, so I thought it was that. a quick watch. Yeah, it it was done well, too. I, did, I have no complaints. I'm not, like, a stickler when it comes to that at all, so that didn't bother me. The character development was still there, you know, I grew attached to the characters the way that I like to when I watch movies. So, yeah, no complaints. I thought it was... Completely agree. So they cut the the climax of the book a little bit low because they want, you know, the budget would obviously be extreme to have Mm. her blowing up gas stations and stuff. But I like that it was quick (laughs) because, fuck, in the book, the anachronism where they effectively tell you what happened and then they tell you it happening, and it's like... This is not good. No. I, I'm sorry. It's just not it good. It was too much. Well, and honestly, I feel like Stephen King is so guilty of that because I just finished, well, I'm almost done with it. And it does that constantly where it's like, oh, the present, past, present, past, present, past. And it's like, okay, I'm trying to remember what just happened the last time you mentioned this little, you know, section. Right. And, and so, back and yeah. Like, okay, I'm lost. I need to go back to And remembering chapter. the names for characters that they barely mention at all, I was... I was like, I really want to follow along. This story is great, but why not just keep people like the main characters as the people we follow? Because at least then there's some traction to them for me. And I'm like, okay, I'm hooked on them. Yeah, that's the big problem I had with Salem's Lot. Where I'm like, I don't give a fuck about this town. Like, if you want the town to feel small, you talk about just four or five people. You don't talk about the entire town. That makes it feel big. But let's move on. Brian De Palma directed it. Cool Beans. Written by Stephen King, and here's my point from the Salem's Lot episode. The screenplay was Lawrence D. Cohen, not Larry Cohen. Make sure you remember that. Uh, music by Pino DiNaggio, uh, or as I like to call him, the guy who ripped off Psycho the entire fucking movie. <laughs> the movie had a sequel in 1999 called The Rage Carry 2, which I don't know if you remember, has the girl who draws these little flower things on her wrist and they come to life and whip people. Yeah, that mean. movie is something else for sure. Wow. And they bring Sue Snell back. and She's the only returning character. And I was like, that's kind of weird. Was it the I don't same like that. person? The same chick? Yeah, later? actually they got her. And what's interesting, she ended up marrying Steven Spielberg, so she didn't need the money. Like, what? Come on now, really? Lady. I didn't know that either. Yeah, damn that for either. sure. Wow, that's <laughs> they met on this film. Fuck. That blows your fucking mind. Brian De Palma mind. <laughs> married, uh, what's her name? The gal who played the shitty Chris uh, Hargison, Nancy Allen, who was Lewis in Robocop. Brian De Palma married her. Oh. And like, you see this woman being a shit and just a bad person, and you're like, yeah, girl, yeah. Mm. I would have been like, she might be capable of this shit. She's like really good at <laughs> She's like, like channeling who she really is. <laughs> right. Fuck. Yeah, he's cool probably that. into SM. He's like, yeah, call him a dumb shit again. <laughs> Uh, There was a made-for-TV adaptation in 2000, which apparently was supposed to start an entire TV series. And people were like, no, it's fucking stupid. Because it ends with Sue Snell escaping to Florida with Carrie to hide her so she doesn't die. No. Mm. Don't care. No one wants to go to Florida. (laughs) No. 
fuck that. <laughs> we even asked the audience, would they rather see the original 76 or the 2013 reboot, because which would have more shit to talk? Nobody gives a shit about the 2013, and apparently neither do we. Let's move yeah. on. <laughs> would you like to go into nicknames, my friends, or are there any points you'd like to make about the film as we stand? Um, John Travolta is the same character in every movie he plays, and his voice is so ridiculous. It's so bad. It sounds it like he's an alien that's learning how to speak for the very first time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm like, no what is happening? <laughs> Are you Sylvester and, Stallone? <laughs> I know, right? Seriously. Fucking Rocky. Uh, so let's move into it. How about this? Let's start with the nickname for John Travolta's character, Billy Nolan. I had one. He was in the fil- the made-for-TV film The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, mm. so I kind of want to call him Bubble Boy, but if you have anything better, let me know. My only other option was Boogie Nights, but I think Bubble Boy is good, too. <laughs> yeah, is he even in that movie? Or He's in Saturday Night Fever. Oh, shit. But... Yeah, Fever. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> no, no, no. We're calling him Boogie Nights because it's wrong, and I love it. And I, I really love the idea that Scientology man's going to come and listen to this and be like, God damn oh, it. I am not taking on that those crazy-ass people. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm drawing my line in the sand. We're going to war with Scientology. Like, Don't you shit. know I'm the youngest daughter of Satan? <laughs> Yes. So let's uh, let's go to Carrie. Carrie White. Sissy Spacek. I have such a reverence for her, I almost don't want to come up with a nickname, so I have it in my notes. If you have one, I'm happy to use it, but I'm totally fine just calling her Carrie. Yeah, Carrie's I'm fine, fine with that too. That worked. And then there's uh, Piper Laurie played Mama, uh, or Margaret White. She thought that this was supposed to be satirical, so she did this crazy <sighs> overacting, but then that. ended up being nominated for the Best Supporting Actress Academy Award. So her involvement in this movie is complete shenanigans. She'd even retired from film acting 15 years before and then just stumbled upon this. So it's bizarre to me how she's involved in this movie. Wow, that's crazy. That is. So she's later in the faculty. So I'm tempted to do something from that. We've recovered that movie, but I'm also fine just calling her Mama. Or we could take a line from Ozzy Osbourne and just call her Mama, I'm coming home every time. Let's just, let's Maybe can we use like an acronym for that? <laughs> uh, Mika. I'm down for whatever. Honestly, Mama's fine. Okay, we'll yeah, go see with Mama. Us. We'll just do Mama. Uh, Sue Snell was played by Amy Irving. She has no personality in this movie. She doesn't. She in the book, she does. There's so much down. backstory. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, waste. Yeah, that might have been my only issue as far as that. That wasn't a very good. I don't know. Whatever. Continue, sorry. Okay. Because her performance stinks, I think we're going to call her Sue Smell. Sue oh, Smell. Yeah. yeah, there we go. That works. We got Tommy Ross. Here's mine. We're calling him the Pinball Wizard because of that hair. He's like the Who song. Okay, that works. Yeah. That works. Yeah. Um, I should do a Google search and make sure that my <laughs> history is correct on that. The guy who listens to like Minor Threat and Youth Brigade probably shouldn't be talking about. To be move, fair, I called John Travolta Boogie Nights, and he was in Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> Close enough. Tomato, tomato. Uh, so we've already moved past Boogie Nights. Uh, we got Chris Hargison, Nancy Allen, who I just want to call her Officer Lewis because I'm obsessed with RoboCop. If you have anything else, say it. I don't care. We can move on. No, that works. That's cool. And then we have uh, Miss Collins, who's played by Betty Buckley. And did you know, Betty Buckley played two people in this movie. No, oh, shit. I can that. tell by the stunned looks on your yeah. face that you have no butt-fucking idea. <laughs> no. She plays 
the little boy on the bicycle who's like, scary carrot, scary carrot, and who eats shit, or creepy carry rather. Okay. Uh, she does the voiceover. Oh, fuck. Oh, so, wow, okay. The That's more you know. Um, as far as the way it goes, I kind of want to call her Miss Desjardin just to be an asshole because I can prove I read the book. <laughs> that works. So in the book, she's Miss Desjardin. That's right. In the movie, she's Miss Collins. In the musical, she's Miss Gardner. Oh my so, god, I didn't know there was a musical. <laughs> oh, oh, there's two. There's the 1988 and then there's the 2003 revival of it or 2006 revival of it. So, yeah. I love that they made songs about this girl's transition into womanhood and her pain into, like, songs and stuff. They're so bad. These songs are so heavy-handed. I'm like, no, girl. No, girl. Let's not. Like, do not. Do not do that. That's fucking weird. Yeah. I know that. I feel like now's as good a time as any. Let's get into the slay-by-play. Let's do it. Okay. So the opening scene is very similar to that of the book where you have... Carrie in the shower. Well, actually, no. We have Carrie playing volleyball, and she does the Daria moment where a girl literally says, give it to Carrie, she'll blow it. She does blow it. And then Norma smacks her in the head with her hat, and somebody else yells, you eat shit. (laughs) Apparently, Norma hitting her in the face with her hat was improv and it got that girl more stage time. Does that blow your mind? Wow. Is that why she wore that stupid hat? No, she wore that hat to cover those terrible bangs. (laughs) Oh, my God. What is that? She took baby bangs to a whole new level. It was like, dude, who the fuck is your barber to give you a lineup like that? And then, like, a half inch of fucking bangs underneath it. I grow the worst facial hair of anybody I know, and my facial hair is longer than her bangs. This is not okay. I think that her hat helped me in the end scene when, you know, when shit hits the fan spoilers, obviously, uh, because the hat, when everything's bathed in red, at least I could tell who she was. But other than that, it was super distracting. And we'll also get into it. She's the only girl in detention who has red shorts. And I went on this deep dive where I'm trying to figure it out. Like, is it symbolism? Is it bleh? And I had to, like, slap myself in the face and be like, no. It's probably the costume department being like, hey, it matches her hat. Well, she's also, I mean, I think they were like, oh, well, it's PJ Souls. We have to give her some type of flair. I guess. I don't know. I think the hat was plenty. Oh, God, yeah. So originally, the film was supposed to open with the house and the stars falling on it. Mm -hmm. They actually shot it, and people were like, this looks like rain, the gravel that's hitting it. And then at the end, the rocks were supposed to land on the model of the house. There was an issue, so they just said, fuck it, we'll just burn the house. So they just cut both of it. I personally think that this is way more impactful because this goes way faster than the book. You hit that velocity of... Things are fucked for this girl Mm -hmm. instantly. I mean, you're less than five minutes in and you have this wretched feeling in your stomach and it's just, ugh. Yeah. That's how it felt for me, seriously, the entire way through Mm -hmm. with the book. I was like, fuck, man, I'm really depressed now. (laughs) Well, and I think, too, if you're not going to kind of flash back to Carrie's upbringing and show, like, that she knew this all along... Because it kind of seems like in the movie she wasn't totally aware of her abilities. Yeah. And in the book she is because she even references like, oh, I'll do it again. Kind of, you know, and you just, it'd be a little too inconsistent if we're not going to follow that closely. 
Yeah. Yeah. I honestly wonder if Stephen King drew it all from X-Men because X-Men came before and obviously there's the character who debuted at Marvel Girl who's Jean Grey who ends up becoming the Dark Phoenix mm-hmm. and in you know the X-Men it's all about adolescence and that change you know coming with it the change into the telekinetic powers telepathic powers both in her case and with Stephen King he talks about almost that she has this power and kind of talk implies that it's a latent power because she's almost scared of herself and only as she hits puberty do those memories come back I don't know I like the movie better in that regard Mm -hmm. I do like the scene in the book it's super dark where she like sees the girl's boobs and all that and the mom goes crazy and then she makes the rocks rain down yeah but I just wish it was just that. And then this huge amount of time lapses. Because then they kind of go into it that she had other powers and Mama knew and she like closed the windows, Carrie. I'm like, nah, that's that's not good. Because I feel like Mama definitely kills that little youngest daughter of Satan at that point, right? I mean, that's what I, when I was reading the book, I was like, okay, so you're afraid that she has sex, but this girl's literally showing that she has some intense powers and you're totally unfazed. Right. Completely. So we go on my wife's reaction to the locker room, just like you. Oh, those are naked girls. And I was like, yep. And this is where I have my long, you know, our, you know, forte into the notes about the Bush National Convention and everything. <laughs> then we get to Carrie's bathing scene, which is very sensual oh, and very God. uncomfortable. It really and is. I feel like at first as I'm watching this, I'm like, this is bad. This is uncomfortable. This is weird. And then I realized that as a filmmaker, this is the only rationalization I can come to. They do that for the staunch juxtaposition of Bloody Vag Hand. Do you think that's fair? Or do you think that he was just a pervert who's like, yes, this is basic. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, I think it is for a kind of, it's hard. You're saying half and half? Is that what you're I, saying? On, I don't know because I feel like there is, there was such a point in horror where it's like, we got to get these girls naked, you know? Yep. But at the yeah, same time, big thing. well, I you mean, take this like beautiful form and then you add gore to it and it's like very just intense. Like you're taking in a lot. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. What's interesting, too, because in the book, in the movie, there's the scene with the principal who's like, how does a girl not know about periods? But I could imagine men today watching this scene and be like, oh, what the fuck? And so I think that it is super effective in that regard. But obviously to me, I'm like, smash the patriarchy, women's <laughs> rights. Let's take tampons and throw them at Donald Trump. So whatever. My impressions are probably wrong. I would really hope in 2019 guys aren't still weird about menstrual cycles. Like, where do you think, how do you think you even came to be? Like, girls have to have these for people, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's I think so weird. There's always going to be those guys that are like, ew, I don't want to talk about that. Gross. Yeah, there's also like, guys okay. who don't think girls like shit either. Okay. Wait, what are you, what's that word that you're referring to? Kidding. I have a daughter who like, shits in the what? bathtub. <laughs> I know all about girls shitting. I was, I, at first I thought you were like, oh, we're not supposed to cuss. And I was like, oh no, we're getting so much cut out of this. Oh no, that's definitely not a rule. I did that on the faculty episode. I thought I was going to do a joke because I was like, I should try and, you know, strive to be a better host. Fuck that. That is way too much work. That's also the genre. Like they're not clean cut and like, right. oh, golly gee world girls can't talk like that. It was neato. Like... Well, that kind of goes to something. So I told you I was obsessed with RoboCop. And going back, I vividly have this memory of being a kid walking home from elementary school. And I had seen RoboCop. My dad was always very permissive of letting me watch things. It, 
because Same, I never let it scare me. I was always into film production and special effects. And so I never came to him and was like, oh, dad, I'm scared. And I remember watching it as a kid. And, he, you know, there's a scene where they, they censor the fuck word. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I thought to myself as a child, oh, well, naturally they're going to censor the scene where the guy gets bathed in acid and liquefied on a car. And that doesn't happen. And I was like, even as a child, I was like, how the fuck can this character not say fuck? But you can literally show some motherfuckers intestines being, you know, washed away with the windshield wiper (laughs) blades. And that's okay. So, yeah. Swear to your motherfucking heart's content, girl. Fuck yeah. Get it, get it. So she uh, she starts bleeding. She runs. We already talked about. She's got creepy old woman back. The girls are like, ah. She grabs Sue Snell's arm with bloody hand, and they start throwing tampons and maxi pads, and they're like, okay. fuck it up. We... But they like pull the panel off the wall, and I'm like, are is this about to be like? fucking steel cage match right now that you like give her a stone cold stunner we were like, laughing at that so hard like she's gonna rip the fucking bench off of the ground and, like, just everything is so dramatic there and just like oh yeah it was just like they're just like tearing stuff and it's like oh my god because that happens in the book but it doesn't sound it's nowhere near as violent because they're like oh yeah the tampon machine was already broken yeah. but in this it's like she's frothing she at the mouth and she's like <laughs> That yeah, it's like mankind in a boiler room match, and you're like, whoa, dog, simmer down. There's just thumbtacks on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> ECW, ECW. <laughs> so, yeah, I was really glad they didn't ham fist the Mortimer Snurds name for these girls in it, because I had, in the book, I was like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, you just, ugh, words. So then Miss Des Jardin comes in, and she's all like, slappity slap, Carrie, get your shit together, you frantic woman. How does that make you feel? Um, first of all, I do. (laughs) If I'm hysterical, do you think the best way to make me not hysterical is to slap me across the face? What is wrong with you? Hey, person who just endured trauma, here's a fresh new trauma. Yeah, she's crying. These people are bullying her. Like, and she's like, hold it together. Get yourself together and slaps her in the face. I'd be like, okay, this is your one and only warning. First of all, bitch, I will take you to the mat right now. You can do that again and see what the fuck happens to you. Did you just intentionally do Edna Mode from Incredibles? You are Elastigirl. Pull yourself together. <laughs> I did, but... <laughs> we used to do that when I was in law school when we were going through finals or the bar. We would yell at each other intermittently in that. So that's my all like one of my all-time favorite quotes from any movie. So you just endeared yourself to me. I will plug the <laughs> shit out of your show. I will not plug it as if it was a tampon in a locker room. I would rather plug it to get people to listen to it. Just have Fair to clarify. Enough, I appreciate that. <laughs> given the nomenclature of this scene. Yeah. It's very important that you are distinct about what you're saying. <laughs> no ambiguity. I don't want to be the subject of me too. You guys coming out and be like, well, Jake had us on our, his podcast, and he just kept talking about vaginas and plugging, and it was terrible. Um, I don't <laughs> want to be. He just started throwing again. tampons at the camera. I don't understand. <laughs> Where did he even get that many tampons? Does <laughs> yeah. he shop at Costco? Something off the wall and started just like throwing it at us. <laughs> so then you have the psycho music kicks in, and the light bulb breaks, and I was so distracted by the, the psycho nod that I was like, "Uh, I know that this scene is very accurate to the book." But the whole scene is almost ruined based on the ripoff of Psycho for me. They do that a couple times Mm -hmm. also, too. But all those parts, legitimately, the first time I saw, like, watch them, they startled me. Because I wasn't expecting it because it's so jarring. Like, you're like, 
it's all that 70s, like, you know, very soft music. And it's like you're in a Summer's Eve commercial. And then oh, yeah. it's like, er, 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 you're like, oh, my God, just out of nowhere. It's really just creepy. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. That music in the beginning, it, it, it does the same thing at the end when she's crowned, where it's this sweeping orchestral thing, and then it cuts to Sue, and it cuts to Chris, and it's a different music, then it cuts back to her. It's very disorienting to show that, like, this is meant, like, it's almost like in Korean horror, where it's, like, silent and then incredibly loud, whereas in American horror, we, like, we ramp up and then it happens. Mm-hmm. That very disorienting kind of change in tone. So we're taking a while, so I'm going to start rifling through things play by play. And it's yeah. not because I want to get this episode over with. It's the fact that I could definitely, A, because it's you guys, B, because it's Carrie, I could probably do a two-parter on this. But we're moving on. <laughs> now let me ask you girls if you noticed this, because I did, and I was like, woman power. When they go to Carrie in the principal's office, there's a panning shot of a dude's butt. And I was like, get it, girl. Did you notice that? Because I loved it. So I totally did not catch the ass in that scene. Me either, which is disappointing. I uh, clearly I did. We yeah, I feel like after. we're a fan of dude ass, and it's not enough in movies. So there, no, there's not, and that's kind of a bummer that I missed it. No, there's a lot of bush and boobs apparently though. Bush uh, and boobs. <laughs> bush and boobs. <laughs> My new indie album. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to the principal's office scene. It's so similar to the mo- like the book. I have no real complaints about it. I think it's super effective. And he gets her name wrong. She shatters the gla- the uh, ashtray. What I like about this scene is it's even more interesting uh, looking at it from our current perspective because smoking in California in schools has been prohibited for so long. It oh, seems yeah. like she's mm-hmm. so jilted right. by what happened that she's like frantic and she doesn't give a shit if she's breaking any laws, um, which I kind of like. Did you? Did this scene strike you guys? Was it good? Mm-hmm. No good? Whatever. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I did too. But yeah, fuck, man. Smoking in the principal's office? That we is something like I noticed because I was that. like, wow. That's fucking crazy. That, I don't know. Times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really interesting. You could definitely see the principal looks at Miss Desjardin and sees the bloody handprint. And I, I, I really liked that because it was a very clear shot. And it wasn't like they were objectifying Miss Collins and doing a butt shot. It was very clearly her hip where the handprint was. Mm -hmm. You could see that uneasiness. And I was like, yeah, you gross man with a penis. (laughs) I was thinking, oh, it's a gross, like, period handprint on her shorts. Oh, I know. (laughs) That's not sanitary. (laughs) I like how they incorporated that. Yeah, that is really cool. Into the movie. Yeah, like you said, they really nailed that scene. They did it really well. So then it cuts to Mama going to... Miss or you know Sue smells mom's house and she's like oh yeah Jesus Jesus I personally like the idea that she's not just uh, working as a ironing woman and but rather she's like a door-to-door Christ peddler mm-hmm. um, the scene super I, this had my favorite comedy bit in the whole movie I thought it was brilliant where mama says these are godless times Mrs. Snell and she replies I'll drink to that yeah <laughs> fucking golden like i have been straight edge for 31 years and i might have to agree with her and be like clink that's what happens when you try to peddle jesus at my door you sick bitch which i say that now but i've I've been godless for quite a long time and i was at a, a minor league hockey game recently and a little girl was sitting next to me and she turns and she's got the this little mouse voice 
And she says something like, I don't know what you're saying, sweetheart. Like, I'm sorry. And she goes, excuse me, did you know that Jesus loves you? And I was like, oh, my God, my heart. Oh. <laughs> okay. Sick. I need a sanitary napkin because I'm bleeding on myself. My heart is ruptured. I felt like I'd have been like a little, I, honestly, I totally this did is- kids. I would have been a little creeped out. But I'd be like, did you know Jesus loves you? You'd be like, it makes just, me- do you want to change seats? Yeah. Like, should I, I'm going to go move to the back. Uh, fuck. Little kids. I, I love little kids and I love conversing with them, but. Like, sometimes they say shit like that, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go now. <laughs> like, is Jesus talking to you right now? <laughs> is Jesus here with us? <laughs> do you feel Jesus in this hockey game tonight? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so oh then Sue Snell's mom's kind of just, she gets a phone call, and she's like, get this crazy lady out the fuck out of my house. She's like, I'm going to mm-hmm. give you $10, which in 76 money, that's legit amount of money. See? And she's like, get yeah. the fuck out of my house. Mama gets all terse, and she's like, whatever. She's leaving, and she says, I pray you find Jesus. I was like, oh, my God, that's so familiar. Like, that's my (laughs) adolescence with people talking to me. Mm -hmm. Okay, bye. (laughs) So then it cuts to Carrie on her walk home. You got Miss Desjardins' voice dubbed over Brian De Palma's nephew, I think, when he's like, creepy Carrie, eat shit. That's pretty dope. It is. In the book, it's very deliberate because she's familiar with her powers by that point. And in this, right. it seems a little bit more haphazard. I like the idea that she's just lashing out with her mind kind of uncontrolled. What do you think? I agree. I think it's a really nice touch. If I could have done that, I would have done the same shit. I mean, but yeah. just to like stumble <laughs> upon this power, like especially when you're upset or like it's it's really cool. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I, I very, I like the idea of people with great power just being treacherous and evil with it but being totally normal in human nature because like if i had telekinesis i might not be like grabbing girls asses but i would definitely be tapping people on the shoulder from the opposite side and watching as they spin around (laughs) looking for who did it because i'm a fucking child uh but you know you could see her lashing out at this kid that's not necessarily hedonism that's just human nature and i feel like that's so underrepresented in stuff like the X-Men, where the people's motivations are solely the altruistic good of uniting man and homo superior, or it's, I want to destroy the world. And there's a great middle ground of just, like, being an impulsive person, right? Mm-hmm. So we get home. You skip the scene where she's petting her stomach in the mirror, but you get the scene where she, you know, changes, and she's, like, looking down, and she hears Mama on the phone, and Mama's like, I know you're listening. So they come down, and they have a great scene like at first my only complaint in the scene is that they're both using a southern accent but then i realize unlike the book the movie is set in north carolina not maine and when you have that you're like oh well then this is just a perfect scene well that would make sense i mean but it wouldn't i feel like it wouldn't go over as well if it wasn't a southern accent like i love the way their voices sound in this movie oh yeah yeah it fits I, with that whole evangelical Bible thumping Bible. Yeah, thumping. a Especially little bit. Yeah. with Mama's character. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And did you like the camera angles where it's clearly Mama's angle looking down at her and her angle looking up at Mama? And it's this very like insecure feeling of this big towering person. But when you mm-hmm. look at them from a side profile, they're relatively the same size. So mm-hmm. it's a really good way of evoking that sense of dominance without special effects without insane hyper violence and threatening it's just the the nature of their relationship is that yeah they captured that really well i would agree do you agree piper laurie has a great ability to make her voice bellowing i can't even do that 
and she has this oh, whoopingness to her voice yeah. fills that scene. Ooh. And then, you know, you have Sissy Spacek, who's got this sheepish, imploring Very voice. Timid. And then you have right. this, this timpani drum of a woman. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So she gets locked into the closet. And that whole thing is terrifying the way she gets dragged. It reminds me of Texas Chainsaw, my favorite part of that movie, where Leatherface clubs him over the head and drags mm-hmm. him and slams the door. It's so uncomfortable. And then you get to Gumby Jesus and oh everything's okay. <laughs> so I don't, I mean, I'm sure you noticed too, but I didn't notice until this viewing of it is that when you look at Jesus, it's the exact same stab marks as the mom has when basically what she's like kind of, crucified Honestly, by Carrie. Honestly, if you hadn't even pointed that out, I would. it would have gone over my head again out of all the times that I've watched it, which is cool, though. My it's, thing is, why does Jesus up? need light-up eyes like I that? I don't fucking know. <laughs> it's so fucking weird, man. Why? So that's where I have to be all like, uh, facts and stupidness. Because I, you know, just like you, I thought it was clearly, you know, Gumby Jesus. It's actually Saint Sebastian who was killed with arrows. Oh, would you have ever guessed that? No. Gosh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she's always talking about Jesus, though, but she's praying to a saint instead. And also to have saints implies that she's, like, Catholic. And if she's got, if she, I don't know. It's all weird. I don't like it. I, just, I say thee nay, and we move along, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's weird that they're praying to Saint, you said Saint Sebastian, right? Yeah, I have no idea who that was. I had to Google it. Me either. That's, yeah. I didn't think to Google it because I had no fucking yeah, idea. Yeah, I just, I mean, it was a, I mean, not to be so offensive, but it was like a long-haired guy on a cross. Yeah. What's the big so fucking deal? Jesus. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Like, the, um, all the, like, blades and knives and shit in the chest were a little, like, I was confused. Like, did they add that? <laughs> yeah, right? It almost becomes the wounded man. I don't know if you've ever seen. Um, it's an old, uh, you know, Grey's Anatomy type manuscript and it just shows a guy who has a bunch of stab wounds in him and whatnot Uh, i had no basis for comparison just like you i was like i guess you know men crucified and stabbed and and looking really sad just grow on trees in mythology (laughs) which is funny because saint sebastian was shot with arrows on a tree thank you wikipedia (laughs) we then go to Carrie letting herself out of the closet, which I honestly didn't care much about. I actually kind of like the idea that there is no lock and rather like she's just psychologically locked into this closet. Mm-hmm. Right. Better or worse in your opinion? Or exactly the same for all I know. Uh, I kind of did like the book a little bit better because she was saying, you know, she was basically made to stay in that closet for, a, you know, less terrible offense or whatever in her mom's eyes Mm -hmm. and so she's like in the book it actually like kind of specifies this is shorter for me and i've done things less terrible and you know now i can come out but in this one it's kind of like she's letting herself free i don't know i because i just think the book really sticks to like how crazy her mom is yeah my only problem with the book version is that you need to have that basis for comparison which then takes time in the film true but that yeah that's true just to your point you could have an easy line of exposition where she's sitting there when she's looking in the mirror to herself being like why was it only so short this time and then you're exactly in the same spot without having to do a flashback and then back to forward yeah that's true so Mm -hmm. when she goes up to her bathroom she's like pulsing the mirror with her brain and it shatters and then mama comes up and she's like what was that noise 
and she tries to open the door and the door won't budge. And then Carrie says, like, come on in, mama. And so she opens it and there's no problem. And then you look at the vanity and the glass is up. And this is something that's kind of frustrating to me. In the book, because she's aware of her powers and her manifestations, she becomes, she's like in training throughout the movie. She's like even, you know, doing the Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2 where she's like lifting the bed to get yoked with her brain. (laughs) Right. And in this, it seems to be that she's holding the door shut and she's holding all of the glass in place with her mind. But she just stumbled onto these. It was kind of a weird scene. Did you feel like that's what was happening? You know what? I didn't think about it at first, but that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me of Matilda. Okay. <laughs> Yell at me, okay? I, I, I drew that if same comparison. If I had comparison. those powers, that would be me. For sure. I would not be giving my friends... Dad, yell at me! Yeah, my friends would not be getting rides where they fly around. The people who I dislike would be having like, broken glass shattered at them. Right. I feel like if that was me, I would like I would go the Matilda route. I would wait for people to sit down and I would just break the chair. <laughs> Make pancakes. Like, I'd keep it real fucking simple. So then we cut to the weird scene where uh, you have the English teacher who's reading Tommy's poem. And it's like the most flower child bullshit. And she, you know, carries in the back of the class and she says, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. And he like freaks out the teacher and is like, oh, Carrie White's saying things. Oh, it's beautiful. Well, that's not a criticism. It's like, fuck, I can't wait for you to die. He's such a dick to her about it, though. Seriously. He's such a piece of shit. I liked, though, I liked that shot, though, with how they shot that when they showed Tommy and then Carrie just kind of like in the background. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? They don't like get closer or pan uh, closer to her face when she says that, like, oh, it's beautiful. You can just see her in the back. And you just hear her, and I don't know. That was cool. I they like do that, that shot mm-hmm. a couple times in the movie, which I really like. Yeah, they where do. They, they do double focus. Like when Carrie's coming out of the closet, Mama is in complete focus uh, at her sewing station, and Carrie's also in complete focus, which requires, if you look, there's a dividing line. Uh, Tarantino does it. A lot of people who are really inspired by the '70s do it. And nowadays, everything is so crisp that that's kind of lost. But I really love when a filmmaker does that in that era because it's showing it is so important that you see everything. Uh, and with her, she could have been right. a blur, but she's in focus. But still, like you're saying, the depth of field, she's still so diminutive in the back and she's still this tiny little church mouse. I really love that scene. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes huge because... Fuck that teacher guy. Yeah. yeah. Tommy ends up using this as a basis to justify taking her to the prom. So I actually like this scene mm-hmm. in that regard because in the book, she's just like, you're playing tricks on me. And then he's like, no, I'm not. And she's like, okay, I'll go to the prom with you then. Oh. Well, and then for the basis for him asking her to the prom is because he, she liked his poem. It's like, so you have basically, you and your friends and everyone in the school have tormented me my entire like school career. And now because I said your poem is beautiful, you're all about me now. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a weird. They did it better, I felt, in the book, for sure. In the book or in the movie? No, in the book. Is it, wait, what were you saying? I was saying the book, I think, is weird because... Oh, no, I liked it in the book. I don't know. I felt like... And then, okay, here's what bothered me, too. In the movie, I felt like they didn't really touch on, like, Sue's conversation with Tommy, like, about even taking her, really. Like, you know, they didn't... There was just a lot more... Well, there's the scene where she interrupts him while he's running, and she says, I need to talk to you. And then there's a scene, like, way later where he's watching TV and she's studying, and he's like, I'll do it. (laughs) Which, at first, I was like, that's weird. But then I thought I kind of liked it because it shows that from school to late at night, 
he's been going over this and mulling this over for hours. And then he finally mm-hmm. kind of breaks, which was cool. I think that if it if the film didn't have this scene where Miss Collins is like, what the fuck is going on with you two? Are you trying to torture mm-hmm. this girl? If it didn't have that, right. I think I have to go with Yaz and say that the book is better. But I like that confrontation in the movie. And I think that it's so good because in the book, you're like, why the fuck is this chick doing this? Like, even though that King does a very fair job of like going into her and her feelings of guilt and her feelings of atonement and even her like self doubt that she's doing this for selfish reasons of being like, Oh, I'm only doing this nice thing. So I feel better. Not so she feels better. That's good. Mm-hmm. But we're dealing with a 98 minute film. We got to, got to get this fucking stepped up. True. So I kind of like this better to be fair. Yeah. The part though that I was telling you last night that I I really liked and that wasn't in the book in the movie was when he tells um, Tommy tells Sue I love you for the first oh, time. Oh yeah. I that was a big part for me and I was kind of bummed that they didn't include that. You know he, that was his like way of solidifying like okay this is how much I care about you and you know that I'm gonna do this for you essentially and for Carrie but well they kind of I feel like they did Tommy and Sue's character a little bit of a disservice because they're very in my opinion, kind of two-dimensional. There's not really a lot of depth to them. Yes. Sue says, Tommy, can you please do this? And he goes, oh, okay, well, it's like, I'll think about it, and that's it. But, you know, and again, it is like a, sh- it's not a very long movie, but you're still cutting out, like, the heart and soul of these two specific characters where they are, honestly, I like that, you know, Sue had to kind of question why she was doing it. And they go, well, you know, everyone says that they should do something nice for Carrie, but they never just do it for her. And she goes, well, I think it's about time that they do. Right. And she tries to do that. And again, it couldn't be put in the movie, but you are making Sue just so like, okay, why does she care yeah. by leaving that out? Because she starts questioning who she actually is. Like, she's like, I'm just going to be some country club wife that's like with all these yes. other dumb idiots. And, you know, and now it, it just... I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense because you're like, oh, you feel bad, but bad enough to miss your, your prom? Like, okay, And that's my favorite cool. part of her character in the entire book is when she's sitting there going like, I'll probably marry Tommy and I'm probably going to be this and I'm probably going to be that. And she like fights back against herself and she's like, no, like, I'm going to be defiant. I'm going to do what's right in this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, I really, really love that part. And then I was like, but how the fuck do you do that inner monologue on the screen? And that was that was heartbreaking because I think just like you said that takes that character that would be a two dimensional kind of fluff and makes her. I mean, you could argue if with a couple more scenes in the book, this is a book about Sue Snell, not about Carrie. But in True. you know you could do it that way, and I kind of wish that the film did that uh, because. And bear with me because I'm going to ramble for a couple seconds here, and I can already see myself editing this episode. Me like Jake, shut the fuck up, but. <laughs> In the book, there's all these supplemental materials. There's the White Commission. There's all this stuff that it, it's showing the perspective of society and culture and the way that these people are coming to terms with what happened. And it's very analogous to like the Kennedy assassination where it's like this changed the world. You know, in our lifetimes, it's 9-11, right? And in the movie, virtually none of that. I mean, at the end, there's the mom saying that, oh, I thought you were another reporter on the phone. And that's the extent of it. So I almost wish, and tell me if you think this is better or worse, and you can feel free to shit on me 
not in practicality. My kid does that enough. But <laughs> if we had looked at the entire scenario through Sue Snell's eyes, so she is the one who we show rather than all of these books and supplemental materials, she is like the link to that world. And it's through her eyes, the entire situation, so that you can see everything change from what would just be, you know, your average passerby. Does that make sense? Where like, mm-hmm. starting the movie from her perspective, like almost if we're doing an interview where she's, you know, mashing out a cigarette and lighting another one because she's frantic and she's talking about how these things have changed her life, I think would be a lot of fun and you get the same kind of depth and gravity. And then it also gives Sue a great opportunity to be a leading lady who I think in this movie we've already talked about, she's kind of bland as fuck. Yeah, she really is. Yeah, I didn't I didn't dig that so much. It didn't take away from the movie at all for me. It was fine, but yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, how it, it, it seems like it's coming from, like you said, a completely different person's perspective and like story and view on everything that happened and it's just not it's not translated that way in the movie. Mm-mm. Sue's just I don't know, she's just kinda there. Because in the book, really, what the whole book is not about Carrie. The whole book is about what happens on prom night, and it is what happens to lead up to it, and it is the resolution thereof, but it's not about her, and the movie is about Carrie, which is fair. I mean, when you're talking about a movie that's called Carrie, and the leading lady and the poster and the materials are all about Carrie, it's kind of a heady concept. It would have just been called fucking prom night or the devil's ball, right? I don't know why. I keep waiting for the S at the end. I'm sorry. You can edit that out. I love it. The devil's ball. The devil's balls. <laughs> it kind of goes to the old uh, the prison rule. Uh, it's only gay if the devil's balls touch. <laughs> what? You ever heard that? Is that a thing? No. Oh, yeah. So the whole idea the is fuck? butt fucking between dudes is only gay if your balls touch. That's a, that's a, a tried and trusted rule. Like you're only gay for the stay. That's a whole thing, man. Okay, wait. So like We're, both of their balls need yeah. to touch? It shows a certain degree of thrust and intimacy that is beyond just getting your rocks off. Did okay. you expect we would be talking okay. about prison sex? Well, I'm oh. just trying to figure out how That's balls touch when you do anal. Do they... How... Okay. We're literally like... Hmm. Okay. I can draw you a diagram if you don't know how balls work. I, I mean, I, I have a rough... Like, I mean, but... I feel like that's like a lot of swing. Like, your balls have to be pretty big, right? Okay, um, this is why I like better to have a dude's perspective on this. We can handle the girl carry stuff. It, fuck. I digress. I'm okay. It. That's probably my favorite derailment of all time because I'm watching your brain try and do math and it's just not working. Like It's like that meme where the blonde girl, the blonde lady is like looking at all like... <laughs> equations. Yeah. No, it's, this is great. This is my favorite material ever is watching you try and go back to like anatomy from high school and oh be like, but wait. Uh, so anyway, I the just... pendulous swinging of balls and we move to Miss Desjardins and she gives the threat and she says, all right, I said I wanted to do three days suspension and then refusal of your prom tickets. And then you get a week of detention. And if you don't attend detention, which Chris says she's not going to do, then you do get the three-day suspension and the refusal of the prom tickets. Then it cuts to the most absurd 
montage of all time of them doing gym exercises with like <laughs> bum, 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 music, which is awful. Yeah. And then here's the thing. It's awful, but then we cut to Carrie in the library and you get that incredible tonal shift of this absurd, annoying bullshit. And then the very secluded silence of Carrie, who is very much the other in a very solitary situation, uh, going and learning about telekinesis from these books. I only can justify the ridiculous montage for that sake, but even then it's a bit of a stretch. I mean, Norma doesn't know how to do jumping jacks. <laughs> that was the one thing I focused None on. She's like, come everything. on, Norma, come on. I was like... But this she, girl doesn't know how to use her arms and her legs at the same time. She's very lanky, though, so maybe that's why it looked weird. She's, got, she's afraid she's going to knock off her hat. I know. Oh. And then her goddamn okay. bangs are going to start sense. showing. They're going to see my bangs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can I just touch on something that was bothering me before we, I guess, keep going? Um, I was bummed because it was probably one of my favorite parts in the book when Chris's dad goes to talk to the principal. Yeah. It would be after this part, though. Oh, okay. Because she hasn't slapped Chris in the face yet. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, sorry. It's fine. Let's let's jump to it, because we'll jump to that and then jump back to Tommy asking her to the prom. But go for it. Yes. Describe the book and then say how the movie's lacking and then say your opinion of it and then cue me up so I can say whatever I was going to (laughs) say. You're so compliant. You're like, okay, I'll do that. I'm just being a big asshole. No, have the free-flowing conversation that you want. They didn't include it at all in the movie, which to me was like a bummer. I don't know. That conversation between the two of them, it was so intense and good in the Well, describe the whole scene because we're going to have people in this who haven't read the book. I I actually encounter people on Instagram who are like proud they've never read King's books, but they love all of his movies, um, which is fine. So like shed some light on this. Burn all the books. I'm guilty. (laughs) But um. Yeah, so basically, um, Chris's dad ends up finding out that, you know, Miss Desjardin smacks Chris in the face, rightfully fucking so. Mm-hmm. And basically, they just kind of go tit for tat about, like, well, um, I don't even... <laughs> they start reciting all these different court cases and shit, like, oh, well, do you know of this? And I can get you in trouble for doing, for, you know, for Miss Desjardin hitting my daughter and for you, you know, because they were threatening her with the removal of the prom or whatever and mm-hmm. um essentially mr what's his name the principal mr collins norton. no um no, whatever norton so he's basically telling chris's dad like okay well you can come at us with all of your you know shit but we can essentially come back at you for the exact same shit that your daughter and all of her friends were doing to carrie so you know it was like they also you know, really show like, that Chris has a serious history of just being a terrible person. That we, you know, you called Carrie kind of, like, the other. Well, Chris has a huge history of picking on the other. Like, she uh, put, was a firecracker in the shoe of a girl with a hair lip? Yeah, and almost blew off her And she almost lost, yeah. yeah. And so it's basically, I like the principle. It really shows growth on his part, too, because at first he's calling... Carrie, Cassie, and you know, it's right. like she's like, no, this is my name, and by the end, it's by like end I'm standing up for Miss, you know, Des Jordan, and I'm standing up for Carrie because your daughter cannot keep treating people like this. Just because they're different doesn't mean you can treat someone like this. And I feel like just because Chris's dad was such a dick, oh my god, that kind of gave him that like, you know what I mean, that little fire under his ass. Like, okay, 
yeah, if you want to go there, we're going to fucking go there. Yeah. And he totally gave it back to him. And I mean, I don't remember, you know, the exact dialogue, but it was just a really good part of the book. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that a lot. Me too. It felt like kind of comeuppets for them. Right. And I, yeah, it was cool to see somebody else, like, just have Carrie's back, well, I and, guess. and he's kind of treating, like, Chris's prom experience like, it's more important than Carrie's existence in general. Yes. Right, right. Like, oh, her trauma, okay, whatever. She's, you know, traumatized, whatever. Carrie's weird. But my daughter, my beautiful daughter, who's going off to college, you know, she deserves to go to prom. It's important to a girl. It's like, you know, and I'm glad that, you know, the principal was like, you know what? This is Carrie's first period. She's already experiencing this. She had no idea. And then your daughter had to go and torment her, basically. Right. Started this kind of, like, lynch mob against Carrie. Right. And when you say first period, you're not talking about, like, homeroom. You're talking about first menstruation, right? <laughs> her first men- the menstruation. <laughs> Just had to make sure. Uh, yeah, you're entirely right. As a, a young father, I look at all of the new experiences that my kid has. And even if they're not important, they're important to me just because they're the first and I always wonder because there there are times like I'll remember the first time for instance I saw sleepaway camp and how you can never see that again right and so if it had been ruined Mm -hmm. for you you never get that moment again Uh, that's just to put it in the context of horror this girl can never bleed out or snatch again without thinking of being pelted with sanitary napkins and chanted against and ridiculed like that's what would happen that trauma will linger forever and I think that it's a legitimate argument um, and especially even with the threat of the dad talking about, uh, you know, the damages and this and the cost of litigation. Because I, as an attorney, I deal with these fuck faces who want to have that kind of smarmy attitude of like, I got you. And I really love mm-hmm. when he's like, you got something, but I got something too. And it's going to fuck your day up. Because imagine being listed as a civil defendant when you fucked this girl's life up. And you want to talk about damages? Your daughter got slapped in the face once when she was defiant and she told a teacher that she could shove her detention up her ass. But this poor girl did nothing and she's going to be traumatized for life. Well, at least until menopause kicks in and she yeah. stops having periods. <laughs> she's feeling Carrie's pain too. <laughs> I know. Same. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this part made me feel a lot for Carrie. If you, if you weren't already, it just, it really shows that it's just, you're just picking on someone who didn't do anything. Not didn't that you should ever do something like that, but yeah, I mean, she's just minding her, her own business and she's going through something. I mean, I feel like even by her mother, she's fairly unloved and unappreciated and just has always been made to feel as unimportant. And then by the end, you're like, man, I think I would have burned that down to the ground oh, too. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no in that. the book, the cat- the catastrophic nature of it goes far beyond. One of the big justifiers being Carrie's mom in the book, her parents owned a roadhouse. Her dad was shot and killed because of a squabble at that roadhouse. Her mom remarried, and so she looks at them as these sinning, evil people and everything. Mm-hmm. So the the perspective of it is, like, way more global in scope. And then also you have, you know, the lens of the White Commission and people who have moved to escape the town. Uh, so it seems like a much grander perspective, whereas the this is really localized to the high school, Bates High School, which you also have Bates staffing later on. Uh, so this is a nod, of course, to Norman Bates because they stole the psycho music. The more you know. <laughs> so we move on 
there's uh, when Carrie's reading about the telekinesis, there's a really good camera angle where it's tracking her finger as it's going word for word. And it shows like this very narrow perspective, like tunnel vision as she's focused. I thought that was good because it kind of shows her insecurity. There we go. Tommy then finds her in the library and approaches her from behind. And she like completely, you know, butthole puckering. Oh, don't hurt me. And he's like, hey, (laughs) you want to go to prom? And she's just like bolts. And she, I like this actually better than the book. Like we said earlier in the book, he's like, hey, you want to go to prom? And she's like, you're tricking me. And he's like, nah, dog. And she's like, okay, I'll go to prom with you then. Nah. And then in this, she runs off. Can you imagine with that? For sure, fam. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, it's, he asks her in a text message that has the number, it's the letter U to P-R-O-M question mark. But in this, she runs off. You get the scene with Miss Collins, who's like, it's a beautiful thing you've been asked to prom. She shows her the mirror, and she's like, look how strong and beautiful you are. You're a good person. You can do all this. But then there's that great moment where you see Miss Collins' face, and she, like, gets very dour. And the next scene is her being like, what the fuck is this Sue smell and pinball wizard? Explain yourselves. I thought that was so much better than the book. Uh, in that capacity because it was just it it was brief and it got the point across and we were flying yeah i agree fucking pinball wizard (laughs) his hair is so killer in that movie yeah it really what either looks great or terrible right there are moments where it just looks like a wig yeah i'm jealous to be honest he just has some killer hair i did think it was great though that miss you know des jordan was like really laying down the hammer it was kind of like are you going to continue to be cruel to this poor girl and they're like no we're actually trying to be nice and through the whole thing she's so hesitant she's like basically like, i got my eyes on you guys i'm not gonna no shit's gonna fly here not gonna sanction any buffoonery so then we cut to chris <laughs> and billy in the car and there's a really it's a weird scene because john travolta is super charismatic for a couple seconds there and it's his first establishing part on the movie in the book he the character of billy ramps up to the sociopath who's very violent in the beginning he's kind of a hopeless mm-hmm. dope in this He's talking to his friends in the car beside them, which I guess was a thing in the 70s. Uh, They throw him a beer, so he's drinking the beer. He's drinking it shamelessly. Some girls drive by, and he's, like, kind of giving them the flirty eye. Then a cop pulls up and is flashing the flashlight like, Hey, bro, you know you can't be drinking a beer while driving. So he throws the can. (laughs) He still tries to get rid of it. Like, oh, shit. And he throws it on his girlfriend. (laughs) I think she justifiably calls him a dumb shit, and he's just... Belzer. He gets so fucking mad. I told you not to go. I told you don't call me dumb shit. And then he calls her. He says, okay. like, it happens. He goes, you fuck. Book and days. then he makes an illegal U-turn right beside the yes, cop. Yes, so dramatic. I'd be like, why? just take me home at this point. You're just throwing a tantrum. I asked Casey. I was like, why did he make a U-turn? And she's like, I don't know. I dramatic like, effect, I guess. <laughs> so then they end up at, like, a party, which is very weird how they... Like, if you're going one direction, why did you make a U-turn to get to the party you were going to? But there's an awful scene where he's like, hey, baby, let's... Fu-. Or no, he wants to go into the party. And she's like, slow down, stud muffin. And she, he's like, all right, let's fuck. And she's like, no, don't fuck. And then he's like, smack. And then she's like, let's fuck. And then he's like, no, you're crazy. And then she's like, let's fuck. And he goes, okay. And then she says, no. And then he's like, smack. I, this scene is so awful. And it's a, it's great at showing it's both of them are terrible. So bad. So... <laughs> There's so much hitting in this movie that I just, I don't understand. But then she starts to, 
Uh, Fillet him? She's, yeah, thank you. And so she's doing that, but she keeps saying his name. <laughs> and then the, it has a great punchline of, Billy, 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 I hate Carrie White. Who? Yeah. <laughs> like, I love that because it's like, A, why the fuck are you talking? Slob the knob. But then B, it's like this very like... Oh, it's so weird, and it's very tongue-in-cheek in that regard. I wish you would have been like, can we talk about this later? <laughs> uh, now's not the time. I'd be like, ooh, let's take a rain check on this. <laughs> that shit was cringy. Yeah, Boogie Nights is like, give it 15 more seconds, and then we can talk about whatever you want. <laughs> so, we have the whole scene, blah, blah, blah. Tommy then comes to Carrie's house in like a red pickup truck, and is like... Hey, you should go to prom with me. And she's like, Mama's sleeping. You can't wake up, Mama. And I never realized that's like a scene from The Water Boy where Kathy Bates is snoring. And I was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe that escaped me. Devil, devil. They're essentially the same character. They really are. Oh, she's so good. I would oh, I would Everything love to see Kathy Bates. <laughs> yeah, they did uh, Julianne Moore played her. I think Kathy Bates even fits Mama more physically because in the book, she's got like cankles and she's a big yes, woman totally yeah yeah she's supposed to be a force to be reckoned with oh and she's so good in misery awesome if it was fucking kathy bates I yeah know. she's gnar to the core dog <laughs> uh, so she tells mama about going to prom mama just like the book throws her tea in carrie's face but in the movie they added a little thing that i'm like this is golden when she throws the tea in carrie's face she also puts out the candle because you establish yeah. that the room already has electric lights, so it doesn't fucking matter. But they're they're eating with two candles, and so then the scene is completely dark, and then Mama is silhouetted by the light from the kitchen behind her. I thought that was a glorious little touch that changed the scenario. Did you like it? Did you hate it? I liked it. Yeah, same. I, yeah, it was good. And then I felt like it it it, it added to the scene. I don't know. Mama accuses her of having Satan's power. And then you find out Carrie's like, well, Mama, Daddy ran away with another woman. Everybody knows that. Whereas in the book, it's very similar to Salem's Lot, where she's a widower who gets a life insurance policy, just like the Mm -hmm. gal who owns the boarding house. And so I like this way better. The idea that like this woman is so mangled by her spiritual bars and... The guy's just like, I can't live like this. I got to get my rocks off. So he runs off with another chick. Uh, I, I like that. A voodoo woman named Phyllis. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> is that from Waterboy? God. Yeah. A voodoo woman named Phyllis. God, dude. Yes. Wasn't there some type of insinuate? I felt like they were kind of insinuating that she killed him. Because I thought there was a point in the book where they're like, oh, it's kind of like a rumor that he passed and then she got the money. Well, he dies in a construction error. Been... I was kind of confused. Oh, okay. Oh. Never mind. I, 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 I misunderstood what I was reading then. I feel like if, too bad she didn't kill him because that would have made sense like with how she is towards Carrie too. Right. Yeah. And then her, in the book, you know, her saying, oh, I should have killed you when you were a baby and this and then that. Um, but it moves on. Who gives a shit, really? Um, there's the scene with the pigs whatever they do the great line you know you don't have to worry about the the bomb dropping piggy because he's about to get his head sledged and i thought that was fun chris is involved in the scene in the book which are in the movie rather than the book and i liked it the fact that she's Mm -hmm. like elbow deep in the shit makes her a way worse character oh right yeah she seemed like more of a fucking lunatic for sure and then uh we go 
very oddly when Billy is setting up the bucket of blood, he does this slave impression when he's like, we's doing the best we can, boss. And I was... Oh, yeah. So in the book, there's two things that are super cringy. When he smacks Chris in the mouth, her lip swells, and King describes her lip as negroid, and I was like, oh, no. And then there's the whole tar baby thing when Carrie is covered in blood, and they do the reference to the song in the South, and I'm just like, oh. And then in this movie, it goes again, and it's a completely different scene, and I don't know if that was supposed to be like a callback to the book or if it was just the way people were in the 70s, but the whole thing made me uncomfortable. Yeah, I um, I could have left out those particular... I mean, at, they didn't at least use those terms so much, you know, in the movie, but I could have left out the impression altogether. Yeah. I feel like just tonally, like, yeah, this guy's an asshole, but you, he's already slapping his girlfriend around. Why do we have to add, like, a racist also tone to this yeah you don't need that on town it's no good no i could have done without that and even in the book i yeah i physically felt my body like clench i was like oh this sucks didn't dig it yeah it was <laughs> bad. like i've talked about this quite a bit and you know my wife was watching veep and you have this character who's sexually regressive and he's making fun, like these inappropriate jokes and i think he calls somebody like bilbo faggins or something like that and i i have a frustrating time with that because i get that you're using these kinds of words and things to show that that person's a bad person but you're also being opportunistic and that you are being able to get the funny or the you're exploitating if you will that terminology and phraseology what's worse in the book is that it's described from the perspective of the narrator versus these people they're not like you know terribly racist in it versus yeah the whole thing is weird i think we could get into a whole racial study or we can just skip to freddie saying, hey, I want to collect the prom ballots, which, thank God, because in the book, the whole voting thing is annoying at the prom. The ballots... In the oh, book? Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. It, so <laughs> she says, I don't want to vote for us, and he's like, no, you should totally vote for us. And then there's the tie, and then they win by one vote later. And the whole thing takes too fucking long and it, it does mm-hmm. in the book. I was like, fucking A, man. Just get and especially, <laughs> grounding already. Yeah, like we're talking about with the anachronism where it's like, well, you start off, you know that everybody's going to die. You know that she's going to die. And then it goes to this and then it goes back to that. And it's just frustrating. And then also, like, Chris and Billy are just going to leave it up to happenstance. Like, what if somebody else, like, what if Norma and her dude are there and they win the prom queen? So that, I like this way better. It gets things moving. Is this a thumbs up change? I do think so. But yeah, I do like that they touched me. on... The fact that, you know, Boogie Nights and everything, he was like, I would have poured this on anybody. I would have even poured it on Chris at this point. Yeah, he was like full-blown fucking... Pig's blood for a pig. mode, yeah. I was like, ooh. And they didn't didn't include it in the movie either where he tells Chris, um, because it's it's set up differently as well in the Mm -hmm. movie. And he tells her, like, if you rat on me, I'll fucking kill you. Like, he's really intense in the book. And he also, like, mentions, like, if we didn't have sex, he would have taken it from her forcibly anyway. Yes, that's a very awful scene. So there's... Okay, Boogie Nights. Calm down. (laughs) Yeah, they cut... Here's my thing. So they cut out, like, his rapey tendencies, but they don't cut out his racist tendencies. I know we can skip over this. I'm just thinking, like, why why do people pick and choose what they're putting in that particular part? So in the movie, though, when the guy... I'm sorry, what was his name? The guy who's taking the ballots? Freddie. Freddie. So he... 
he's like, oh, yeah, can I, you know, can I help? I want to take the ballast. And I think he said, oh, can you be here at six? He's like, nope, I'll be here I at eight. I love it so much. Because <laughs> this guy's already super suspicious. He's like, you're a scumbag who's just a piece of shit all the time. Like, why do you want to help? And he's like, it's my civic duty. And he's like, all right, well, fine. You want to do your civic duty? Be here at six. He's like, nah. Like, I'm integral to this yeah. master plan, and I still can't bring myself to give enough shits. So he's kind of the star of the film. Yeah. At least play the part. And then you have Chris in the background watching that unfold, which I loved because it just shows her Machiavellian scheming. Like in the movie, she's so much worse than in the book. And I like that. Mm -hmm. So then we cut to my second favorite comedic scene in the movie where they go tux shopping, which I am so grateful for because in the book, there is no levity and brevity. It's just this fucking passion of the Christ beat down of this girl and this whole just wicked plot of gunpowder and treason and then in the movie there's the scene where tommy and his homies go to get their tuxes and his friend's like nah fuck that i don't want to wear ruffles and he ends up with a tuxedo (laughs) t-shirt that dude is he is the prom king in my eyes oh my god that scene was great and then there's a weird section did you notice that it's like sped up oddly where their dialogue is just like even the director or the editor was like Man, it's getting long in the tooth. I better just speed this shit up. And they turn some to Alvin and the Chipmunks for a couple seconds. Yeah, I think I think I know what you're talking I, about. I don't know. I'll have to rewatch. That's funny, though. <laughs> and then there's the whole, you know, rumor mill as everybody's spreading. And you got the girls getting their hair did. And they're like, did you hear the town is taken? Carrie to the prom. What? And then a gal confronts Sue at the prom. So you get a lot of information in a very short time compared to the book where there's Mm -hmm. whole scenes of Sue planning the prom. And that's where you get her inner monologue. So, again, happy with the changes and it moves the plot forward. Any critical notes there? Nope. Nope, not at all. So then we end up with the scene where Mama is confronting Carrie right before. And she says, you know, oh, it's a red dress. I should have known. And Carrie's like, it's a pink dress. And in the book, it's red velvet. In the movie, it's pink satin. And I like that because it's kind of a nod to the movie. Or excuse me, it's a nod to the book, rather. Uh, But then this dress works so much better for pig's blood. If you're going to pour red on red velvet, it's going to wick right off the majority of it. And it's red anyway. Versus this, there is a staunch difference between this pale girl and this red figure. Absolutely. That's what I I totally agree with you. I was thinking that when I watched it because when I read the book and it was like, yeah, red velvet, I was like, you know, I get being embarrassed because, you know, she was mocked. But at the same time, when you put that very like dark red against something, so I kind of felt like they chose a color that was like more pure. Yeah. Like, I, the I, I kind of, I mean, they wouldn't have been able to use the line, but I was a little bit hoping that, you know, I thought white would have been a good color because uh-huh. technically white, you know, kind of somewhat symbolized the purity. And then with all that blood, it would have brought it right back to the beginning. Well, I actually like that it was pink. And bear with me because I might be getting a little too meta in this. But pink is just a tinge of red in white. So I feel like it is implying that she is largely a pure character, But she's getting Mm -hmm. that selfishness. She's getting that defiance. She's getting her own independence, which shows that she's slightly askew from where she was. She's not this naive, pure girl anymore, but she's not a villain like Chris. She's very much her own. And maybe I'm taking it too far there, but that's the way I took the dress. And I thought that that kind of worked. No, that does work. Totally. Yeah, definitely. I love the pink dress. I really like this where Mama is doing the he's not going to show up. He's not going to show up. Where in the book, that's her inner monologue. 
And I thought it was so great mm-hmm. to come, you know, A, it's auditory this way. So you have a person speaking the line. Uh, but then also the fact that mama is directly tied to these feelings of self-doubt and an insecurity. It, I thought it was very effective. Yeah, definitely. And then you get mama striking herself and scratching herself like happens in the book. But it happens in the book all the time. I like that they saved it for this scene in the movie where you like this is it. Like this is the main event. And you can tell this ramps up everything what sets her off. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, because it they really did a lot of great things in this movie by kind of shortening the book into just, just it was just really, really great. I love the way they did so many things. They condensed it really well. Because some, I feel like some kind of get butchered and a lot of things get left out and super, and some like book to movie, but this one they stayed pretty true to the characters for the most part. And it doesn't feel like things changed. The things that changed were only for brevity's sake. They weren't changing things just haphazardly. And it's kind of like with Salem's Lot. Like, largely I think that the Salem's Lot made-for-TV movie is very effective because they consolidate characters, they get things going, and it moves, and it propels things in a forward direction, so I'm okay with it. Uh, When you just change things for the sake of changing things for personal taste or the director's vision, it kind of frustrates me. But I think that everything in this has a point and purpose it has a function the fact that they don't blow up the gas stations later you can literally go okay well a it it localizes the problem she's just Mm -hmm. attacking the school because she just wants revenge against them and then also the budget could you fucking imagine how expensive it is to blow up a gas station oh my god yeah (laughs) and then i like in the scene she throws mama on the bed not once but twice with her powers uh, to really Mm -hmm. establish like i'm the alpha now and then that really helps prepare or, you know, as we move forward, when we're cutting from Carrie to Mama, that descent into madness, there's a lot more motivation to it in a visual scenario rather than, you know, you can't get Mama's internal monologue anymore because unless you want to do a voiceover, which is kind of hokey. So I thought that was a great cue. And then as she's leaving for uh, Tommy to pick her up in his little blue car, not his red pickup truck, which shows he's got class and debonair sophistication. Uh, Mama says, <laughs> thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. And I was like, that is so theater actor perfect. You know, that's the, that's the scene. <laughs> yeah. The lights go down. The stagehands start switching the set dressings. I thought that was perfect. Mm-hmm. So then we cut to Carrie asking Tommy to stay in the car. She doesn't want to go in. And he, this is... This is the best scene for Tommy in the whole movie. I love this scene, and I analyzed the fuck out of it. My wife didn't give a shit about it. She's like, it was slow. And I was like, no, it's, it's really good. Let me grab you by your ears and tell you why it's so good. Because he's sympathetic. He's empathetic. You can see he starts to care about her. And then what I love is he takes charge, and he's like, I'm going to make sure you have the best time. We're going to do this. Which, you know, he's kind of the mama bird pushing her out of the nest. So when he goes around to let her out of the car, tell me if you notice this, she starts to open the door herself to get out, but then she looks and sees that he's coming around, so she closes the door and has this beautiful, bashful smile as he opens it, and I love it so much because it shows... I live for that. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. And it's one of those... Like, that was such a great scene. Like, it's a small detail, but it's so great. It shows her breaking out of her shell. She knows... Like, it's, I love it. As women, did you like this scene or 
Oh okay. yes. Oh yeah. It, it like just, tugged it, on my heartstrings. Yeah, it was so genuine. That's... It was genuine because that's literally what any girl would do. I mean, most girls, you know, that's it's so cute. Like, okay, yeah, I'll play along. Like, I'm gonna close the door discreetly. Yeah. I loved it. I, it was great. I mm-hmm. love that scene. And it's also, like I said before, it shows the three acting presences of Sissy Sissy Spacek where she's the sheepish weak girl, she's the lioness, and she's the bloody vengeance creature, the demon, the youngest daughter of Satan. And in this, when she has that smile, it's like a super infectious smile. And it, she shows like she's just a different character than the character you saw 45 minutes ago. I don't know. It, it's really great. And I, I hope I don't sound like I'm just belaboring the point, but I thought it was beautiful. No, it definitely was. So we enter the gym. And it's very pretty and it's very accurate to the book. You have, uh, you know, one of his friend's girlfriends saying, no, you're going to sit with us. Like, it's all good. Like, where'd you make your, where'd you get your dress? Like, I made it. That I loved that part. Oh, I like, it, it was, I don't know. It just goes back to me. Like just being in high school when somebody would be like, oh, I like, you know, how you did. I was telling Casey this last night that like I got made fun of for like certain things in high school. I like to fucking go against the grain and dress weird and when somebody, you know, somebody unexpected to would be like, oh, I really like, you know, this or whatever, how you did your hair, your makeup. I don't, it just puts me back to like, you know, just being at that age. And I was so appreciative when people were nice to me. Like, yeah. so that, you know, whether, I don't know how other people took it, that to me was like, that was really fucking cool that, you know, she was like, oh, I really like your dress and genuinely was like, which in the book, she's like, holy shit, you made that? Like, she's in awe at the fact that, you know, she made something that, you know, she probably couldn't even find at a store, you know? Well, it feels it like, like an upswing compliment. of positivity right. that, you know, Carrie is finally getting what she deserves. People are starting to give her positive recognition. People are that treating is... her like a human being. Right. That and I think it sets up, like, the decline for her, you know? Yeah, it, like, it you see, like, okay, things are turning around, only to come spiraling down Just quickly. Yeah. So quickly, which was a bummer. Mm-hmm. But anyways, continue. And the earnestness helps a lot because as a, mm-hmm. when you're reading the book, it's very frustrating because you look at people's motivations and you don't know if they're selfish motivations, if she's the butt of a joke. And also, you could see from a third-person perspective, it's very odd that people have this perception. You know, In the book, they even touch on it that, that it's some people suspect that Tommy and Sue were in on the plot and they're not. Naturally, you'd kind of had that cynicism and you'd, you'd suspect it. But in the movie, the, the presentation of this scene in the car, in that part, at the table, there's so much earnestness that goes with it. Uh, that it really helps show, like, it's not everybody who's the problem. It, it's the fact that these two fuckheads are so cruel and everybody else pays for it, but it's not everybody. And I think that's one of the great things about showing, like, this tragic end to Carrie is it's very Greek in that sense, where it's hubris, it's this psychotic vengeance, it's the madness that overtakes Hercules when he kills his family. It, you know, it's this bizarre thing. And then it also helps because in the movie, she has this scene where she bathes and she's back to being pure and she's very uh, apologetic. That never happens in the book. And I really like that in the movie, but I'm obviously jumping far ahead. So we'll go back. Tommy asks Carrie to dance. Carrie's like, nah, dog, I'm straight. And he's like, are you scared? And she's like, for real. Miss Collins comes up. Then they have a great scene where, again, it's, you know, she's so happy for her and it's beautiful and it's all cool. Uh, and it's done really well. And it it's great because in the movie, unlike the book, Carrie kills this bitch. Like, that's how crazy she gets. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's we, what we noticed, too. We're like, ooh, 
And not, she didn't die gently. No. Her kill was fucking gnarly. (laughs) She got it. She gets chopped in half. Well, and two, in the book, it's, okay, it's so hard not to jump forward because, I mean, there's so many great things that they do in the movie compared to the book as well. But, you know, in the book, she's, like, running to Carrie and Carrie's, like, fuck you and, like, pushes her to the wall. And so for her to yeah, really get what she got, I was like, oh, she kind of didn't deserve it. Yeah, it's interesting because in the book, it's like she veers her away and she pushes her. And while she does get injured, it's nowhere near what she gets here. And I think that this speaks no. to blind rage a lot better. Like, this is one reason, mm-hmm. as a comic book guy, you'd think that I would like the Hulk a lot more than I do. I don't. The Hulk annoys me in a lot of ways. Because if you're that consumed by rage and anger, you don't discern who is the cop and who is the robber? You just kill. Mm-hmm. You just strike. And that's what she is, you know, she is painted red and she is seeing red and no one is beyond her wrath. And I love that part of this, you know, so much. It, it, and again, it keeps things moving. In the book, when she gets covered in blood, she runs out. And sure, there's the great scene where she gets tripped and leaves the smear of blood. But oh. when she comes back, I get it. When she comes back in the book... It's showing she just wants everybody to look silly with the sprinklers. She's not trying to hurt anybody. In the book, or in the movie rather, she's like, fuck y'all. This is my retribution. You're all dead. And I like that Mm -hmm. better because A, it's quicker. B, it's easier to film. And then C, it's more relatable to me as a person where it's like, I've never want, tell me this. Does this resonate with you? I'm not even until I'm ahead. If you want to fuck with me, I'm never the guy who's like, all right, I'm going to do exactly what you did to me. I'm like, I'm going to do exactly what you did to me, and then I'm going to bend you over and make you take it because I am going to come out ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Yeah. I think Casey can vouch for that. Yeah. I mean, I get that because there – in this situation, I'm so much more talk. I'm like, oh, yeah, you want to fuck with me? I'm going to do way worse. But – then I instantly feel bad the second I even say something slightly mean about somebody. Yaz is like, I'm going to get out of the car and, and stop traffic. And I'm going to get a baseball bat out of my the back of my car. I'm going to break all their windows. Half true story. <laughs> yeah. Minus the bat. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm fucking, I'm right there with you on that one. Like, no, I'm going to, we're going to do this my way. And it's going to be 10 times better than what you did to me. Absolutely. So I can I can heavily relate to mm-hmm. that. So we'll go back. It's a scene where Tommy comes back and, you know, he jokingly is like, what are you doing with my date? And Miss Collins, she gives him that validation of like, you're good, man. Like, we're solid. Like, I trust you now. I see the way you're looking at mm-hmm. her. I see the way you're treating her. We're cool. Her guard is down. His guard is down. Everyone's guard is Carrie's guard is down. So it makes the neck mm-hmm. what comes even better. And he even is, like, affectionate with her. And he says, like, don't let me catch you, you know, my date hugging any guys like that. And he, you can see in the book there's a weird kind of suggestion almost of telepathy where he's feeling this weird compulsion to love her. And it's almost implied like she's having some kind of hold over him. Whereas in this, it's yeah, just right. like he's seeing this metamorphosis. And he's like, this is like this is my beautiful butterfly. Like, it's so cool to either be a part of or see. And it, again, brevity. So I'm happy with it. She then, at that same scene, confronts him like, okay, on the real, why the fuck am I here? And he's like, because I asked you. And she's like, don't be cute with me, motherfucker. Tell me the truth. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, because you like my poem. And she's like, uh-huh. And he's like, yeah. And somebody else wrote the poem. I thought that was so fun. Like, 
it's it, it is such a throwaway but the idea is almost okay we're here like just enjoy it like it doesn't none of it fucking matters the poem itself yeah, didn't yeah, even matter exactly. and then she's just happy to be around him she at that point she doesn't have any you know suspicion of ill intent he's already established that his whole excuse is a bullshit it's a farce and she's cool and then they just go about it i loved it did you notice that on the ballot when she draws the x it almost looks like an inverted cross no didn't have my glasses on no i did not notice that it's not like a hugely overt but like it, it fit um I don't know if it was intentional, but I really like the imagery because it's like, this is what does it. Mm-hmm. That's really, really cool. Whether intentional or not, like, I think it's even a little cooler if it's not because that shows, I don't know, there's something like extra That's interesting cool. about that. Yeah. Yeah. And then it cuts to uh, Norma. You see her and they specifically disregard a bunch of ballots. So you know that the nefarious plot is in full force. It cuts to the bucket. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that the bucket was decorated with a star? It's so dumb. It was just taped on yeah, there, right? Yeah, it's just taped onto the side. It's a gold, or it's a, it's a silver yeah. sparkly star. And I was like, how fucking silly. Like, I loved that little detail of, like, <laughs> fuckery. Like, it's almost like it's hiding in plain sight. Because in the book, there's a whole scene where Billy's, like, a trapeze artist hiding these two huge buckets. And in the movie, it's just one little baby bucket. And they do actually a pretty good job of hiding the string, too. And so it's funny because it's like, it's there. It's overt. You can see it sparkling Mm -hmm. up there. So let's move on. She and Tommy, spoilers, get nominated prom king and queen. She's up there. Mm -hmm. Sue, rather than in the book, where she goes on this quest to find Carrie and she feels this weird spiritual compulsion to find her. She just goes to the fucking dance. Thank God. Yeah. Speeds things along. She's there. She's watching from backstage. The blood. I'll let you guys take over. I feel like I, I apologize for being the play-by-play guy and just saying everything that happens. But no, not it's your chance. No, no, not a problem at all. Um, my issue with Sue, I don't know. It just felt like she was very slow. Like it felt like a minute of her looking at the bucket and then back at the couple, and it was like, okay, are you going to do anything? Like, and it's not slow motion. You can see the just, cord moving very quickly. So no, it's yeah. very weird. And then when she goes to run for the stairs because she ends up seeing Chris and Boogie Nights, Boogie Nights. <laughs> under there, you know, Miss Destardin like goes to grab her and it's like she just throws her out without any question. She, oh, yes, that pissed I'd, me off. I'd be like, you don't, I'm not running for the stage. I'm running for the stairs, obviously. Right. And you're not even asking me. And especially because she pulls the streamers back and you can easily see them. I'm like, are you so... Like, tunnel vision. I, she had to have been, though, at that point. She was probably like, nobody's fucking this up for her right now. And just didn't even ask any questions. Yeah. Just like, get the fuck out. I'm not dealing with this bullshit. And then for the doors to close and then eventually for that bucket to fall on them, it just... Ugh. Honestly, in the book, it broke my heart. And it broke my heart in the movie, too. Just to see this person who, you know, there's some type of redemption for her. And then it just is all for naught. Yeah. And then... I mean, they describe, like, the silence in the book and then in the movie. Like, like you were saying last night, you would have cried. I would have been crying. If I saw that to happen to somebody, my heart would have been shattered in real life, whether I like them or not. Because you're just like, no one deserves that. No, I would have been up on stage, like, taking, I don't, I have no idea. I would have, I would have like, dragged her off the stage, and, like, yeah. Yeah, wrapped it around her and been like, fuck all of you. Stop laughing. Well, and then... Even Tommy, he turns and he says, Yeah, what the I really hell? like that in the oh, yeah. Because in the yeah. book, it's just chaos happens. He gets hit. It's over. But in this, he defends her. 
and that's almost yeah. the way because in the in the movie i think it's very effective that blood only hits her right because it's showing that she's the butt of a joke yes. but this is how you show he is not in on it versus in the book they both get splattered with blood so there's no suspicion from her that tommy's in on this uh, right. so it's a very effective way mm-hmm. to do that it's the same thing but visually, she is the sole target. She's the center of the bullseye covered in blood. He also, too, there's a point where after she's in, she's covered in blood, he slowly starts to pull his hand away from hers because they're holding hands. So I don't know if that kind of shows like he's like moving himself. I mean, of course, I would move myself away from someone who's covered in blood, too, because you're trying to assess the situation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he kind of pulls his hand back a little bit. Like, you know, it just... There's a lot of shit going on at there once. There really I don't is. Even know how and I then when they reacted. turn to the crowd and it's kind of silent, but you can see them laughing. Oh, and then fucking Norma's right in the front of it. Yeah, cap, fucking ah, with her fucking cap. I cannot stand her. Okay, but when I love PJ Souls, but fuck, she pisses me off in this movie. Man. When um, oh god, when Chris and Billy, when they go and they kind of propel themselves from under the stage buggy nights like crashes right into the drum set and i think he hits his face on a <laughs> yeah, you hear that and i was like, yeah i was like there's no way that felt good even by accident <laughs> so did you know that sissy spacek was like oh, no you guys can totally splatter pig's blood on me and they're like no nah, that's not sanitary dog and she's like no nah, but it's fine it's i'm a, a you know a professional and they're like no it's gonna be corn syrup with red number five and then she's like, all right, well, I want it to be consistent for shot to shot. So allegedly, she slept in that gown and the red corn syrup for three days while they shot that scene. That's the rumor. Can you, that That is method to a level I am not comfortable with. I feel like that would have stained her skin so bad. Oh, I know, right? Especially because, like, when she, her underwear is stained with it, too. Mm-hmm. I, I would have, wow. Well, That's she cool. clearly ain't wearing a bra. That's cool. She I'll tell it. you that. No. No, you can see them dirty pillows. <laughs> dirty pillow, one word. Uh, so she then <laughs> she closes the doors dramatically, and it's got you know she very deliberately is looking from place to place, and it seems like people are tying together that she's doing it immediately, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. She goes crazy eyes, and then fuck. Oh, and it turns red. Oh, it's so great. That oh, red filter is very effective, and it almost makes the red yeah, like the water like hose. Because it's the hose instead of the sprinklers in the book or the movie, which is fine. It actually makes it a little bit more serpentine. It's your imagery of the snake. It's your imagery of aggression because she's targeting people one by one. Um, And then the red filter makes it look like blood. Like, here's your, you know, bucket of blood, you fucking evil people. Did you know that your homegirl PJ Souls ruptured an eardrum? When she was splattered with the uh, fire hose. No, yeah, she was temporarily crazy. deaf, but she ended up recovering. But when she gets hit, it's like spraying her when she's down. Yeah, it's because she yeah. like has actual damage. Fuck, dude. So does she... How did she die in the movie? Is she drowned? Well, at the fire. Like they drown her? The f- yeah, right. Okay, because when she falls down, she's just like staying there. And then her face just kind of goes like limp yeah. a little bit. So I didn't know. I was a little bit confused by that. I think it's just yeah, meant to say okay. that she's like knocked out. And then because she's incapacitated, she can't escape the fire. And I wish that you mm-hmm. had a longer shot of the fire because I think it's beautiful when she's silhouetted by the flames. But yes, to show yeah. like the whole building is burning down, even though the interior is full of water. But I get budget, whatever. So any other notes before we get to her outside with Billy and Chris? And attempted vehicular manslaughter? <laughs> I dug that split screen. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the only thing I'd want to add is I'm really glad that, you know, the book specifies that 
um, Tommy is dead when the fire yeah. like starts and everything. Cause mm-hmm. that would have really, that would have made it so much more like pulled on my heartstrings if I knew that he was still alive. Cause he just is a character that doesn't deserve. And it pain. goes to like that Greek tragedy. I think if she does kill him, you know, with her just wanton disregard for safety and her just want of vengeance. So I'm okay with it either way, but I agree. Like if, if it was that he was alive, they needed to say so, so that you really feel like her mm-hmm. rage has escaped her and she is almost being, yeah. you know, held hostage by her animosity. Yeah, so she absolutely. escapes, she's walking, you know, away covered in blood. The fire truck goes by her and you, I guess you can kind of see flames. So whatever, we're fine there. And then Chris and Billy try and run her down, which there's a song about that, right? Running somebody down. But it doesn't end with her whipping around and being very cat-like and using her brain powers to flip the car with an explosion before they explode again. And she just keeps on trucking. It's a very quick scene. And then you hear that, like, quick psycho, like, little, like, when she turns. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me at the end of a uh, fucking, uh, the bad video of Michael Jackson at the very end. Who's bad? That really quick, like, <laughs> I totally dig it. <laughs> it was really quick like that. Fuck off, well, it's baby. good because in the <laughs> book, uh, Billy and Chris have no idea the, the travesty that's taking place. They go to a bar and then he slam bangs her. And then, she, you know, the only reason that Carrie even finds them is because she's going to destroy the roadhouse as a symbol of sin and, you know, revelry. Whereas in this, they watch through the window. So Chris is trying to kill her for what she did. Yeah. Again, her her rage and pettiness towards Carrie, her not realizing that she is the victimizer rather than the victim. And so I, I thought this was a great way of expediting things. And plus, it makes the altercation with Mama the climax rather than her just dying in a field with Sue. Yeah, I liked that a lot better. So it comes to her at home and you have candles everywhere total fire hazard not cool bro you have the last supper is somewhat asunder you have everything's in shambles so you could tell that mama went crazy because there's a couple scenes where she's like chopping at just a chopping board with a knife to show she's she's out of it she's detached carrie goes upstairs goes to her room calling out for mama mama's not there she has the scene with uh, the water in the tub it's not until she's looking at the water that she really starts to cry. And I took it, tell me if you disagree, I took that as her crying for the people she just killed, not for herself and what she'd been through. I felt like her looking at the blood was like a symbol of the other people. But I could be wrong, but I feel like that's where she starts to lament for her sins, and that's why she's so willing to pray with Mama, which is not really evoked in the book. I agree. I also feel so... I I do totally agree with you. And then it goes to her talking to her mom. And it's kind of like she's making somewhat of a reason for herself. Like, they all laughed at me, Mama, you know. So it's like, I feel so bad that I did it. But look what they made me do kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much. It's the abusive, like the battered or battering boyfriend. Like, look what you made me do. And it's like, no, you did this. Regardless of the motivation, you took lives that are never coming back. And so then it also makes Mama's stabbing of Carrie much more relatable. We have to realize she is a victim, but she just killed all those people. Like, if if you're doing yeah. a movie about Columbine, you're not looking at Klebold or whatever, Harris, and saying, like, oh, look at these poor little boys. It's like, no, you fucking killed people. 
you you pulled the trigger you blinked your crazy devil eyes the devil's gaze like this is what you did and so then it makes mama the you know the vessel for the audience but she's crazy and so you're still rooting for carrie it's so weird you could never do i mean i don't think that it works in modern standards with school shootings and the climate that we have i don't think it works the same way but i really thought this was it, it definitely put my mind into overdrive. I don't know how effective it was. I think that, like, my wife watching it, she didn't care. She hadn't read the book. She, it was just didn't phase her very much. But it set my mind ablaze a little bit. It also starts blurring the line between victim and victimizer, too. Because, you know, it is very effective that she ends up kind of getting a punishment. But like you said, if it's from someone who's clearly kind of, like, out of their out of a healthy mental state, you're so torn because it's like, this person killed somebody. So do you give them that type of capital punishment? Or do you, you know, it's hard because she spent her whole life being a victim and I cared about. And then the person who has kind of done that to her is like what causes her demise. You're just, it's really, I felt very conflicted because it's, I didn't think it was okay to kill all those kids, but you kind of do feel like, oh, she gets a little bit of justice. So where do you stand and what, what is appropriate to fill in that situation? She, I mean, she kind of gets, you know, I don't, I feel like the way it ends, it all kind of just comes full circle. And yeah. I feel like it ends the way that it needed to end for sure. Mm-hmm. And then she falls down the stairs and Mama comes at her again with the knife. And again, you get that really severe mm-hmm. camera angle of looking up at Mama as if you're a child, looking down at Carrie, domineering. And then Carrie very much in self-defense shoots a knife across the room that pierces mama's hand and pins it to one banister, uh, hits the other one. So she's in a mock crucifixion. There's a potato peeler and a bread knife and all these things. You know, they mimic the wounds of St. Sebastian or Jesus. Plato Jesus, I think, is way more fun. So I'm just going to say Plato Jesus. And in the, I think that it's way more visually stunning than the book. In the book, she stops mama's heart, which is a... Oh, I love that. Because... You like that better? Well, she's still holding Mama, and I think the only way you could really do that in the book is if you hear bump, 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 and it slowly fades to nothing, and then you see Mama dead, but even then you're going to have a hard time knowing unless you could see her flex and see an interior of that heart stop. Uh, So this, because we're dealing in celluloid, I thought it was was an artistic impression. It was visually stunning, but, you know— the whole ending being this way, I thought was very interesting because my wife, as she's watching, was like, wait, who's doing this to them? Because it seems like Carrie, when she drags Mama's body into the closet with her, it seems like this is happening to her, not she's doing it. Um, which I could see from her perspective was like, wait, what is she the devil's daughter? Is the devil like coming with his due? Is this the crossroads? And Carrie's finally giving her soul for all this. I think that that's kind of the the flaw that fucks up this ending. Um, Because I don't consider the ending ending the ending. I think this is the ending really where it it doesn't show she is atoning for her sins and saying, okay, we're all like, we're ending this. I cannot be allowed to live. You cannot be allowed to victimize other people, mama. (sighs) And the flames, what do you think? I personally liked the, well, I liked Mama's, the way she died, more than I did. I mean, the book, it was cool. Like, you know, I just felt the book was more dramatic, but visually, I do feel like the movie was a lot better. I fucking loved it. And it's honestly, like, I was telling Casey, because we rewatched it last night, and we were going to, like, go get some food or whatever. And I was like, can we just wait until after Mama dies? Because I fucking love that scene so much. Like... 
from the first time I watched it as a kid, that scene just stuck out so much to me. And I just visually, it's so effective. And it, it like scared me. Well, Not a lot of shit scared me. As and a then kid she like climaxes for five minutes oh, after, yeah. and and she smiles, <laughs> which kind of makes me think because at least in the book and. A little bit in the movie, but not really. She talks about like killing her and Carrie. I feel like yeah. a lot. She goes, "We'll just kill you. Well, I will. I'll just kill you, and I'll kill myself, or you know." And so she's smiling, and it's kind of like the sweet relief of yeah. death at that point because she's like, "Oh, no more sinning. No more sinning for you. No more sinning." And it's for like, me. like you said, like it's an orgasm because my wife was like, "Oh my god, is she coming right now?" And I think that's very true. Like she, for so long. her sense of atonement. <laughs> I think it's like this. This masochistic thing that she's been dealing with. She's been dealing with 17-year-old Carrie. She's been dealing with what she perceives as sin for 17 years, and it's finally over. Yeah, she's free now. (laughs) (laughs) With her having that, like, thing, it's interesting because, I don't know if you caught it, in the movie, Mama admits plainly that she had a miscarriage from premarital sex with her dad, and... Uh, she was. She's. I should have killed us all then for that first one. In the book, it talks about how Mama goes into the hospital shortly after her marriage to Dad, and it's perceived by the grandma who is, you know, uh, Mama has is slighting and saying like, you're a sinful piece of shit. Uh, you're. You need to change your wicked ways. And it's like, oh well, why were you in the hospital? Nobody would say. And it's perceived that she had a miscarriage after, you know, because of premarital sex. In this, they just overtly right. say it. So that makes her dementia and madness even better when she does the whole, I liked it, when she's talking about the sex. And then right after that, she has this <laughs> orgasm. It was a very oddly sexual thing where I was like, okay, I'm going to tuck my dick and sit on my balls because I don't want to, I want to make sure there's no confusion in my genitalia as to what's going on and how I'm supposed to react. <laughs> I just like the kill. Whatever. Fair enough. <laughs> Those are my thoughts. When the house was coming down on her, I do kind of see like, oh, is someone else doing this to them? But I also kind of feel because Carrie was raised in such a house where, you know, she felt like she constantly had to atone for sins she didn't even necessarily partake in. That when she finally did, it was, she was just collapsing in on herself. And that was like also the house collapsing on her as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great visual representation. I think it's way more effective than the rocks. So I think that happy coincidence. Yeah. So then we get to the actual end of the movie where Sue Snell is, you know, being an emotional, frantic woman, you know, like y'all do, uh, atoning for her situation by (laughs) sleeping, which makes perfect sense. And then she has a dream sequence, which you can tell is a dream sequence from the very beginning. And it's shot in reverse, which doesn't add anything to it. And she goes to the the plot where Carrie's house was, and there's still lava rocks there. And there's the sign, the for sale sign that says Carrie White burns in hell, which is what happens in the book. And did you also like in the scene where Coach Desjardin is tearing down the girls and giving them their punishment? If you look on the back wall, the janitor's cleaning up Carrie White mm-hmm. eats shit, which is something that happens later on in the book, which is showing like the way that she is perceived after the fact. So there's the sign. She goes to put flowers down because there's no grave, which is interesting. That's a whole topic for discussion in itself. 
and then right. we mm-hmm. rip off Deliverance, and what happens? Shows her hand through the, the hand. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! And she grabs Sue. It, it gets me still. When every she time. grabs Sue, it mimics in terms of time and moving and ripples. Her grabbing Sue with her bloody hand in the beginning of the she grabs Sue after bleeding, right. and here's oh, her bloody yeah. hand reaching out and grabbing Sue. Uh, which uh, that's the only part I like about it. And the trivia where Sissy Spacek was like, no, you're definitely going to bury me. And Brian De Palma was like, I don't feel comfortable with that. We'll make your husband bury you. That's fine. And so that's how method this <laughs> lady is. She's like, put rocks on top of me so I can stick my arm out. And then we reach the end of the movie with her screaming and mama be- or her mama, you know, I'll drink to that lady being like, it's okay, we're fine. And da-da-da-da-da-da. That's all, folks. <laughs> so, ending impression. So, usually we do like a recapitation, right? Uh, where I, it's like a one sentence thing where it's like, what happened in this movie? And I think that, you know, what's interesting about this movie is it is so ingrained in our culture and it is so heralded that you know, I don't have to give you the one sentence. You know, the one sentence is, you know, teased mm-hmm. girl uses powers, gets revenge. And that's, it's great because yeah. it's, a tale as old as time. <laughs> now, it, our rating system on this show is generally a classic, which is a good, good movie, a trashic, which is a good, bad movie, or a tragic. No argument this is a classic, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so now here's the big question. You guys have a lot of power. We have reigning champions in each division, and our current classic champion is an American werewolf in London. Is the film version of Carrie... Better than an American werewolf in London. I have to say yes. Yeah, I'm right there with Casey. Uh, that one, that one is it, really, really tough in my opinion because... I... Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I just... That's like the hardest one. Oh, it is. It's terrible. I, I've mulled <laughs> this over for the last 12 hours, so... For nostalgic reasons, and I think that that's the only reason why, like... I've been watching Carrie since I was a kid, and, like, I don't know. I didn't watch An American Werewolf in London until I got older, so it's just that nostalgic factor for me. I don't know. It's just, it's going to always be in held in higher regard for me. And I feel like with Carrie, too, you're kind of running the gamut of, like, what it falls into, you know? Like, the it falls into so many genres, in my opinion, that... Oh, just yeah, I'm gonna have to give it like an overall classic. Yeah. Yeah, I actually I agree. I think that we're going to be dethroning an American Werewolf in London, which pains me to say and surprises me to say, especially with the kind of like bombastic, silly, shit talking attitude that we have with this show. Uh, you, you know, it's very interesting that Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie were nominated for Academy Awards. Like it shows. Like sure, an American Werewolf in London won for best makeup effects, but it was the first time they'd ever given it out, and the competition was minimal. This you had these two amazing actresses nominated amongst amazing films. Like this is mm-hmm. a very substantial movie. It's a cultural phenomenon. Uh, it's visually stunning. I think it. it, it the changes that they made were so minimal and they affected so quickly. I mean, this is one of, like, I think that this movie did a disservice to Salem's Lot when I finally saw that because this movie was so good at abridging uh, Stephen King's rambling kind of meandering pace and works. Um, I agree. We have a new classic champion, Carrie, uh, which I think was originally <laughs> going to be called Carrie, a, no- a novel of blah, blah, blah. So fuck that. It's just Carrie. Move on. Yeah. Yeah. So now, girls, it's time, gals. Ladies, women of equal stature to men, 
pitch your show. Tell everybody why yours is the best crap-ass little podcast on our little network. Casey and I go back. (laughs) (laughs) Almost a decade. Yeah, almost a decade. And I feel like it just shows. I mean, her and I... Okay, I can literally just come out and say, we've talked about horror movies like forever and it was always just like we would go on like our little friend dates and we would hang out and we would always find ourselves just sitting there like knee deep in conversation about horror movies and then Casey was just like well fuck it why don't we just do a podcast like we sit and talk about this you know for hours on end why not and when we went into it there was no there's still no like expectations for what you know we want it to be it's literally just two best friends shooting the shit and talking about stuff that we love, you know, and I wouldn't, I'm not going to put myself out there and say, I know fucking A, B, and C about horror because I don't, you know, I watch what I like and, um, that's really what it is going to come down to for us is, you know, movies that we legitimately enjoy. Maybe, you know, they're not considered real horror to like certain fans or whatever, but you know, it's shit that we like and it's, you know, we're very open people and, you know, when we do get down to doing this, you know, we're totally open to constructive criticism from everybody and, you know, we're just really excited to meet people and just, you know, relate to people, you know, about horror. We love it so much. You We've know? also opened up, you know, at first we wanted just to do horror movies, but we do have a love for a lot of things that fall into the horror genre. Like, we want to bring you, like, horrific history and, you know, some scary stories and things like that, as well as, you know, and I know it's kind of cheesy, but <laughs> paranormal <laughs> investigation, like, just anything that's fun. Honestly, it's just... It's fun to hang out with each other. This gives us an excuse and we just we just want to bring that to you guys and have you guys come into our world and, you know, kind of have like a collective friendship right, <laughs> audience, yeah, you know, exactly. it's just, we're just looking to branch out to the people we know love the same things we do. Right. And you know, what I'm hoping to will come out of it is, um, you know, I like to go to a lot of like the horror and like, you know, monster palooza and all those conventions that you know, or down here in Southern California. And I'm just really hoping that, you know, I don't know, it'll open the door for like, you know, other podcasts who, you know, have like, who vend there. And, you know, I just want to be able to really like get into it and start talking to people about, you know, like, why did you guys start your podcast? You know, what inspires you to keep going? Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm excited for that in the future. I think that's one of the things that gravitated me towards you. uh, Even given you had no content until you shared me your pilot episode was, it feels you're very synonymous with Brian and myself. It's I'm not trying to lecture you. I'm not trying to argue with you and convince you to like what I like or hate what I hate. I'm just inviting you to be the third friend in the room and talk with us about horror films. And I think that that shows in your initial episode. Like I felt like I could just speak out loud and that you guys would just pick up my thoughts and run with it. So I think keep doing what you're doing. I wish you nothing but the best of success. I am very excited for what's ahead and my inevitable guest spot, which will probably be your highest downloaded episode ever. <laughs> no big deal. Humble brag. <laughs> so do you have any crazy <laughs> any crazy lines that you want to pitch out? You know, like a sign-off that I can try and plug so you can start building that continuity in your franchise? Or do you want me to just end this episode as it stands? Can I do Brian's <laughs> Please do it. Okay. Okay, mutant goons from beyond. If you ain't watching them dying, you ain't really trying. And I am Jake for Casey, for Yaz, and myself, reminding you to go out there and do something you love. 
And remember that all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> <laughs>